make me feel so young. You make me feel like spring has sprung. Like the way he's speaking, his confidence is peaking. Don't like his baggy jeans, but I'ma like what's underneath them. And Love is a episode frenemies and i've brought all of my favorite frenemies with me today not really <laughs> i love all these ladies um so i'm gonna have them introduce themselves to you hi i'm mel or 47 mel 47 on tumblr and i'm really excited to be taking part in today dream believers down under today hi i'm izzy i'm the dork mark on tumblr and if you couldn't tell i'm also australian so we're having fun today down under. <laughs> uh, hi, guys. I'm Lauren. I'm somewhere on the I know on Tumblr. The, N, uh, the no word is spelled N-O. Um, and I'm a podcast virgin. Um, I'm so excited for my first one to be the Aussie takeover. Yay! <laughs> Welcome, my lovely Australians. I keep calling you that, and they're going to, like, revolt on me. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's so excited. I thought it would be, I thought I would give Snarky a break and make, you know, um, scheduling really easy for her. Um, and <laughs> I thought it'd be fun just to get a bunch of Australians because you guys are delightful. So, and, and welcome Lauren to the podcast. Thank Yay. you. So, all right. So jumping in, um, the first thing I kind of want to say before we get into the plot and what goes on in this episode is that we are now post previously honored Christmas in season five. And something that always stands out to me is that the show kind of pulls its focus away from the newbies completely, and it starts focusing on the seniors and the New York stories. And I, I mean, as much as I do love the first part of season five as well, I think that I'm like, why didn't they do this from the beginning <laughs> in season four? And I kind of want to hear if you guys have any thoughts on the kind of change of dynamic that we see starting with this episode. Well, uh, the first the first reaction that I have is that I like to forget that previously unearned Christmas exists. So thanks for reminding me. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know that people really love it, but I'm one of those people that really, really doesn't. Um, what people? Oh, well, wait, there are people well, you know, okay. that like it. 
So people like um, uh, we will have when they listen to this one previously on air. Kristen said it will already have been aired, and you're gonna hear a whole ton of people who have talked about that one that they that they really love that one. So. Um, yeah, I knew that you were doing a podcast. So obviously there are people that want to talk about it and that's completely fine. I'm just one of those that don't. <laughs> I like to forget that it exists. But anyway, yeah, no, I completely agree. It does seem like the show has kind of switched focus completely. Having watched this episode, I feel like the only thing that the newbies really do is have, again, some cute background moments. They like sing, but it's not even really them singing and Kitty pulls some faces. And Unique has a really great line that I'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I don't think, I mean, in terms of sort of the newbies in season four, it wasn't necessarily the amount of focus that they got that that was an issue to me. It was the way that they were trying to rehash characters and they rehashed storylines that sort of made it tiresome that we sort of, we'd already had enough of that. Um, And, you know, so sort of at this point that they're sort of getting a chance in the background a little bit more, like earlier on in the season there was already a little bit less focus on them, but the storylines, they were able to come a little bit more individual. They sort of became a little bit more interesting. You know, Kitty became more engaging as a person, you know, all that sort of stuff. Um, and season six showed for the most part how well choir newbies could be introduced, and I think that... Um, that's what needed to happen in season four. Um, but sort of, as you said to me, this is sort of the glory phase of Glee. Um, sort of these episodes, the few that were before it, um, like Puppet Master and things like that, that lead into the New York arc is like the strongest and the most cohesive, I think, that the show sort of has ever done in terms of storyline, in terms of characters and, and development all, and all that sort of stuff. So I really, really, really love love this part part of glee i also think it might have had something that's all right um i was wondering if as they were leading to the um the seniors graduation the second kind of senior class to come they realized that they had to take the show in a certain direction where they could only follow some characters and they knew you know, with Blaine and Sam and Tina and Artie all graduating, that was that's more than half the cast is out of high school. And I was wondering if maybe after previously on a Christmas, they realised they had to take it in a direction where they needed to focus on these seniors, like the seniors again, and they that the plots had to revolve around these characters rather than the the newbies that weren't really catching much fire, I guess. Anyway, um, besides like you know, one or two, like Kitty obviously became her own, which was great. Um, but, yeah, I found the others weren't as inspiring, I guess, and maybe they felt that. But I find it interesting that it still took them to halfway through this season to do that because I would have thought that they would have figured that out. I mean, the initial reaction to the newbies is not great in season four. <laughs> and those of us that go back and rewatch season four now, and, I mean, I, I love it. I've always I've said number of times how much I love season four but even the start when they're first introduced it still frustrates me a lot and it's just intriguing to me that it took them to this episode which I think it's episode nine or ten I forget I just watched it and I forget nine yeah so basically halfway through season five to go okay we're not going to focus on them anymore and they didn't focus on them a whole heap in the first half of season five but like it's just interesting to me and I just sometimes just want to sit down and go like what was your thought process here well and I think also like if you look at 
episodes one and two of season five, it's very, their newbies are not focused at all. They have stories in four, five, six, and seven, but it's not as heavy. It, it just seems like there's these little, this little mini arc of the whole Jake Marley writer stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Sorry, I feel that off. <laughs> that is what this podcast is all about. Um, I love them all individually. I don't understand why we needed another love triangle. Okay, because the show just doesn't know how to survive without love triangles, except for it does during the New Yorker. But whatever. Um, (laughs) But I, you know, it is this kind of they've been pulling away from it, and I think that the seniors. I mean, I love a lot of season four, and it's really grown on me. But I think that the senior class of 2013 really got the short end of the stick the previous year. Because the newbies came in, and I do kind of like the dynamic switch too. Hey, let's talk about Blaine and Sam and Tina and Ari. Um, and I don't know. And I think it, this episode, I think in, on top of that, you have, we have three plot lines. That's it, three plot lines. And we're not trying to, you know, get all of these like 50 different little plot lines, which they did for a lot of seasons three and four which made the whole show feel overstuffed and, and, and bringing it to just these three plot lines really makes gives the room to breathe and you can see that this kind of storytelling goes on into the New York arc. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I, I agree with you. I think this is kind of the start storytelling that should have happened much earlier. Um yeah, the for me the the newbies in season four I kept like it felt like they were being forced on me and like it was a different show to what I was watching. Mm-hmm. You know, when they were introduced, like the original characters the reason why I guess people who love them stuck, you know, people who watched the show in the beginning, a lot of them fell in love with the satirical humor, and that was how the original characters introduced. And once people kind of got tired of the format of the, the competitions, the one, the fans who stayed, stayed because they loved the characters. Mm-hmm. And being introduced to these new characters that felt like rehashing of the original characters, without that kind of comedy element almost, and it being forced on you, they weren't. Bit kind of interacting with the old cast, they were having their own plot lines. It felt forced, and it, yeah, it wasn't what we, the fans that stuck around, were watching for. Um, and I think that's why season six newbies were so successful. They were funny, they were original, and they were slowly introduced in a way that they were interacting with each other and and the old cast as well. And yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but this episode. Like I really Sorry. enjoyed the three kind of the three plots that they had. They weren't it didn't feel like the stuff. You're right, and yeah, I enjoyed this episode. But this kind of storytelling should have happened earlier. Well, the thing is, is that this this episode could have introduced a frenemies plotline into the newbies. I'm, I can't remember because I should have again previously on Air Christmas. I don't rewatch it, but like. <clears throat> The, um, like I feel like with whatever love triangle, I can't remember where it was at this point. The love triangle going on between like Ryder and Jake, they could have had a frenemies plot line because they're friends and now they're not because they're all trying to they're trying to date the same girl, or they could have created some contrived reason why Molly and Unique were fighting. I don't know, but like they didn't. Like they could have, but they didn't, and I just find that choice to be yeah, rather it interesting. Need it. it really didn't need a fourth outline. I think they did. <laughs> no, but they could have, and in in an, I feel like in season four they would have done it. Yeah, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, and let Thank me God. ask you guys. I thought, and I feel like this about all of season five, but I feel like comedy is returned. I feel like it's yeah. funny. Yes. Again. 
I mean, I, I just rewatched it. I, there are a lot of parts of this episode I haven't seen in ages, and I was just laughing. I was like, oh my god, it's fun to laugh again. And I, I feel that way about a lot of season five. That not that, like the end of season four had some funnier moments uh, with guilty pleasures and stuff like that, but I feel actual comedy came back in this season. And oh, yeah. yeah. So, so let's talk about the episode a little bit. Um, <laughs> um, we never change it on this show. Um, so I'm actually wanting to start with the Lima stuff, even though it's not the stuff that starts the episode. Um, and Tina and Artie, and they have this ongoing lunch date that they've had ever since they've dated um, every Tuesday. We've never seen before. Yeah. <laughs> it's never been referenced before. But it's happened. You just never saw it. Yep. It sort of just, it, it occurred to me sort of thinking about this. It's like Artie and Tina are like the longest running relationship on the show. Like they were friends and a couple and then they managed to be friends again. And like it does make sense that they, they ended up together at the end, that this little stuff was, was going on, was happening when we didn't, we didn't know about it. We've got some exposition <laughs> here. But it's, it's kind of, it's, it's nice. Mm-hmm. It was not like a nice little moment. Well, I also kind of, I think it's hilarious how fourth wall breaky this entire episode is, but um, yeah, like especially with this <laughs> plot line, and you know they're talking about Tina is wanting to go to Brown and she needs mm-hmm. to be accepted, and how do you like it's not my fault? Oh, I guess it's later when he's like, it's not my fault you didn't apply to things and earlier. Like, come to school. <laughs> and I wanted to, yeah, I like literally wrote in my notes. I think it, like I like wrote it in caps. I was like, did you learn nothing from Kurt and Rachel? Tina? <laughs> No, but I appreciate I, I appreciate that they they were hedging their bets here as well because it's obvious that they weren't 100 percent sure whether they were going to bring Tina over to the New York side of things. Yeah. So they're sort of like maybe she'll go to Brown, but maybe she won't. Like I don't know. Yeah, I wonder. Um, I don't know. I wonder if they knew or not. So yes, if yeah, that's happened. what I wondered. Although I will say, because this whole storyline is about how she, like, you know, the two of them are fighting over valedictorian. If she has the grades and the attendance and all that jazz to be valedictorian, how is she on the wait list for Brown? I don't understand. Like, how does that make well, sense? Brown, gosh, Brown is considered, I don't know if you guys even know. Brown, <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. Um, I, be- I don't know. I'm going to get some, I have to look this up. I will look this up, listeners. If I'm wrong, don't yell at me, whatever. I think it's considered an Ivy League school. And um, the Ivy League schools are just like, really really super hard to get into so you can be the top of your class with all of these extracurriculars and if you so that meet the criteria that these schools want you to meet they can reject you so um plus um like for harvard for example they only let x amount of students in so if they have all of these bright young students and a bunch that paid lots of money to get in um then you have people on wait lists stuff like that. So. so if you're applying for a school like that, then it would be a wise idea to have several backups, not just a random vet <laughs> school. <in practice. laughs> yes. No, that no. makes too much sense. <laughs> so, um, yeah, like, before we get to talking about the Sue stuff, though, what do you guys, do you have any thoughts on the songs they sing together, Whenever I Call You a Friend? Or whenever before I that, you? can I just comment on the size of her lunchbox? It's huge. What is she It's like a suitcase. It's like a carry-on suitcase that you would take onto an airplane. It's massive. <laughs> That's right. I just wanted to say that. Okay. I think that it's really they sound really good together and I don't know if they've I mean have they sung sort of have they had a duet previously? I 
Because I know she, she danced when he sang um, in season one the dream, dream a little dream of me. But I don't know whether we've really got I, to hear them sing together. And they sound really good. Like they sound really good together. Yeah, I, I think she I only had dance during that. I don't think she actually said. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, yeah, that was an arty solo, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I completely forgot. <laughs> I, I, I find it really interesting that um, I looked at the lyrics to the song and it's a love song. Wow. Like, legit. Please <laughs> never use the love song I, for inappropriate things. <laughs> no. But I, I think it's interesting in terms of that being between Tina and Artie, considering their history and their future, I guess you could yeah. say. I think well, I, he does refer to her as his, his sometime lover later on in the yeah. episode. Yeah, <laughs> it's really funny. That's everybody's Artie, though. <laughs> that's very true. So that's that's like mean they've been, like, occasionally hooking up when they've been. I, like, you know, maybe. I have to wonder. I bet, though, if I had to, like, guess. There, that Kevin and Jenna have this whole like backstory for for, for Artie yep. and Tina <laughs> that probably does involve yep. them hooking up whenever they're you know not with a significant other. <laughs> Knowing that how much Artie likes sex with women, and you know I don't know. So are we are we to take that this uh, this weekly meetup on a Tuesday might have also been <laughs> weekly hook up. <laughs> <laughs> that that could be possible. Yes. Sure. <laughs> um. So they get called and into. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. That's no, all right. Go on. I was just gonna say they they get called into Sue's office and, okay, so <laughs> this is ridiculous because here's how Val Victorian <laughs> kind. Okay, at least for it worked in my Midwestern school. Um, we actually had this was kind of fun. We had, uh, okay, so me I don't know how the grading system works. Basically, if you get an A, that means you get four points. Okay, you get a B, you get three points. So you have all of these grades. So I got an A in English, and I got an A in math, and I got an A in whatever. And when you add them all up and you take the average, it's four points. Okay, and if you get a B, there's a 3.6 and etc. all the way down. So if you get a four points, that means you've gotten all A's in your classes. That's the highest you can get. Now, there are some schools that have a five-point system. I don't, it just, yeah. And um, so Val Victorian, or Val Victorian, um, is everybody that has gotten the highest grade point average, which is usually straight four points or the five points in the five point system. And so for us, um, <laughs> the way it works, we had four Val, Victor Val Victorians, I keep saying it wrong. Um, and because we had four people that had 4.0 average, grade point averages. And actually, it was kind of fun. They actually, instead of doing a speech, they, they wrote a song and sang it. It was really awesome. But anyway, there's just... Oh, yeah. the, Sounds like Glee. It was. It was kind of fun. <laughs> uh, granted, it was way years and years before Glee was... Yeah, I'm just very old. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, the, the thing that's crazy, and you can totally tell they did this just for the comedic sake, is that um, Artie and Tina would not have to vie for first place. Like, they would both they be valedictorians. And Blaine would be the salutatorian, and they just wanted to make a competition out of it. So they get this ridiculousness. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Um, well, I don't know how it works. Uh, well, I don't know how it worked in my high school. I don't know about 
you got it, you guys. But I they didn't announce like our valedictorian until like after our school's results had come out. So like this is odd to me because obviously they've worked this out so that they can give a speech at <clears throat> the graduation, which happens. Well, I don't I don't get how the whole final exam system works over there anyway. But how it works here is that we do all do our exams and then our results come out, and that's when they announced who our valedictorian was because we knew obviously they had the highest mark. Um, is that so <clears throat> valedictorian? Pardon? Ducks or valedictorian? Yeah, well, it was it was ducks. That yeah, that was ducks, right? No, our valedictorian actually that a valedictorian ours was a combination of marks and then extracurriculars, but they weren't necessarily yeah. like the highest one. They kind of based it on like who's most involved in the school. Sorry, yeah. I just yeah. get confused between from ducks and valedictorian. Yeah, from both as a student and a teacher. So like the schools that I went to and that I've taught at, they've done it the same way that the valedictorian was a combination of academic achievement um, because when the year 12s have their valedictory, um, their end of year exams are externally assessed and they haven't even got those results at that point. So they can only look at what they've done in school in combination with extracurricular leadership, you know, participate, like the whole, like it's an all-rounder sort of thing. Um, and they get that at the valedictory. And then in addition to that, there's the ducks, which is a student that gets the highest ATAR, which is that's their result at the end of year 12 that's your result that you get from all your exams from all your classwork and things like that so if you've got the highest ATAR in your school then you are the ducks which is the highest result and you will then be presented with that the following year because of the way that the timing and everything works at, at the end of the year so sort of valid yeah valedictorian is chosen from sort of like staff ducks yeah. is awarded from results and it would be I would not that it's ever happened I've heard it happening that um if two students ended up with the exact same ATAR they would both be awarded ducks of the college yeah I think I think that happened at my high school once but, but as you say because it's externally graded um like the school yeah. has no input on it so obviously they're just going to award two ducks yeah yeah well yeah, we used to say at my high school and so I think it was the same at my high school in that I don't actually even remember if we had like a ducks or a valedictorian or what the if we had two or one or what. I I remember there maybe being a ducks before we uh, in back in you know when I did it it was our enter score um over the enter. ATAR score. Yeah, it was enter yeah. when I did it, but it's yeah. now <laughs> yeah. We're all old. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. Yeah, I- um, the, what you guys were talking about, like, you don't know until everything's over. <laughs> this is how backwards we are. Um, so the, this, uh, the school year's split up into two semesters and your college application stuff and all the valedictorian stuff has to be done by the end of the fall semester, which essentially meant that your spring semester of your senior year did not count for anything. So like, you could totally really? fail a class. Really? Yeah, it didn't matter. I actually what? failed my government in the final exam because I just didn't take it and got a C in the class. It did not affect my my three point eight or whatever I had. <laughs> it was like, that's like <laughs> we just didn't that's give a shit. I mean, that's weird. <laughs> yeah, every like we sort of the year twelves will finish. At the end of October, we'll sit all before then you put in preferences for like university courses that you want to do. Um, and then they sit all their exams, and then in December, they get their results. 
and so they have their they get their ATAR and your ATAR will determine what uni course you can get into for the most part there are other ones that you can apply for differently and things like that but majority of people go through this process and then so we, when you get your ATAR which can go up to 99.95 is the highest result you can get um, you can change your preferences. So if you got a little bit higher or a little bit lower, you can reorder your university preferences. And then in January, I'm pretty January, um, university courses are you're uh, notified of what course you've been accepted to. That's so much higher yeah. than four. Yeah. <laughs> and that's also like after the school year has ended as well. Like yeah, you finish out year twelve, yeah. final year in October, this, you know, results come out in December and the next year when you would be starting university, January yeah. is when your course come out, what you got yeah. into. And I won't. Which is why Ducks isn't awarded until the following year because you don't, yeah. your year's already done and finished and every, until, yeah. I won't yeah. speak for every school in America because there are clearly better schools <laughs> out there. Are you um, sure? <laughs> but, um, you know, in the Midwest and the early aughts, late 90s, um, in, you know, middle of nowhere, Midwestia. Um, <laughs> that's kind of how it was. So. Well, anyway, back to the episode. Um, okay. <laughs> on a note on a t- Tina's attendance, didn't she miss an episode? You said she hadn't missed an episode. Didn't You're she right, miss so an episode for the bird flu? She did. That was season four. She missed I Do. You're right. But I don't think Artie had. Artie doesn't miss. Kevin McHale doesn't miss an episode until opening night. That's his Wait, point. so which one? Which one did she? Tina was. Tina was in Because she was like, Shoot, I should make my ex boyfriend. I'm gonna look this up. <laughs> but she did yeah. miss one because of Kidley. All right, I will be looking this up. Meanwhile, <laughs> let's talk about Sue's ridiculousness, and I love the Christian. You know, and I don't know if these stereotypes persist again in other countries, but. She jokes about like the overachieving Asian and the yeah. kid in the wheelchair. The loner, and the loner Asian who has trouble making friends and a nasal muppety disabled kid in a wheelchair yeah. is what she calls them. <laughs> but at the same time, then she calls Tina Tina Warrior Princess, and I was like, I really <laughs> like that. That's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Well, and then what? I uh, oh, oh, sorry, go for it. I just I was just gonna go for it. No, no, go ahead. I was going to say, I appreciate, again, I mean, this is this is how you use, like, Sue's humour in, in the right, yeah. like, you know, sprinkle it in and about in the right way. Like, yeah. obviously, season six gets way ahead of itself. But um, when she's like, you guys come and go for months at a time with no explanation, I was like, <laughs> like, you, you, you acknowledge it. It doesn't make it go away, but I'm still going to laugh. Oh, like, you two are always in the choir room, even if it's just to say something inconsequential, like, Kitty's right. Yeah. Like, you hey, serious? are you serious? I'm like, that would be me in the choir room, though. I'd be like, Blake, are you serious? Okay, so I looked that up, and um, before the New York arc, Tina has only missed the Spanish teacher. Uh, oh. Yeah. Oh, you've got me. She missed Ricky Martin? Yeah, she did. She blamed. <laughs> yeah, Dara missed the Spanish teacher, but it's okay. He made up for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was gonna say though. Um, actually, the person with the best attendance in the cast was actually Leah Michelle. She only missed three episodes. And weren't they ones that just didn't have any New York in them? Like yeah, one was nationals. It's, um, it's actually it's, no, she was in national in the. No, no. Ah, uh, sorry, the season five nationals episode. She was in it with John. 
Was she? Yeah, there's at the very, very end. end. The very end. Oh, I okay. like when Kurt runs into the diner. Oh my yeah. God, Glee Cup's over. Yep. Oh, they, that's and right. They, um, and they missed, stare at each other. Um, she missed Rolly were born to play, which was after the breakup. Uh, shooting star and dynamic duo. Oh yeah, that's right. Don't really, don't have me do it. Yeah. The first episode, but yeah, there's no New York in that episode at all. Yeah. Yeah. That's all right. right. Um. So and then wrapping it up for whatever reason, I don't know why Sue is so hell bent on them. You know, is she just bored that she just wants to pick two people together freaking against each other because she's like, these speeches better be the best thing ever <laughs> and don't sing. And, <laughs> and if you if you choose to abandon your speech for a musical number because the emotions you're feeling are just so complex, they can only be expressed in song, I promise you I will dedicate my life to making sure that every beverage you drink until the day you die will have just a tiny little bit of my pee in it. So that's what I want to know because obviously Blaine convinces them to do a song in the end anyway. So does that mean yeah. that that's what Sue does? Like, is this where her, like, crazy stalking begins? Oh, she's been – oh, no, she said something – Way earlier, back in season one or two, about stalking people. So uh, it's okay. always been there. I can't remember what it was. Something for the rewatch, I mean, though. That I was like, oh my god. I mean, god. her claim shine is very dedicated. It's been it's been yeah. around since like the very beginning. So <laughs> I don't think she would. Would she? I don't think she would bring herself to pee in Blaine's drink. No, she doesn't really like just, Blaine all that much. It's about her, really. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, just in case Kurt ever drank out of Blaine's drink, so maybe we, let's just let's just think that she doesn't. And Kurt has to kiss those lips, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So anyway, um, so <laughs> the next thing we get with the two of them though is the the scene in the hallway where they are. Well, they're really rather not nice. Tina is really just not nice. Holy crap. This is really awful. Yeah. Like, she goes on about, like, you know, she's like, you know, Katie's only dating you because of her pop. She wants to be something, or she's trying to experiment or something like that. And Artie just kind of takes, I feel bad for Artie. He's the only, everything that he tells her is kind of in defense. Like. She, well, he brings up the vapor rip again, because we, we brought it up a couple minutes ago, but like. I like how Tina's response is something like, um, that was blown way out of proportion. And I was like, mm, I don't think so. <laughs> if yeah. anything, it yeah. wasn't blown enough out of proportion, but that's okay. We'll just pretend she, it didn't happen. Yeah, she starts off like yelling that, you know, she's always in the background and that he always gets what he wants. But it's like, he's kind of just been a side, just a sideline right. to sort we of know she. She says that, she, she jokes about, you know, um, Making costumes and Mel, you were there. Yeah. You were there for my props for him, weren't you? Yeah, we were there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, don't need that to relive that one. again. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, she, I, you know, she was in the background, but at the same time, so it's Artie and yeah. like goodness. But I think it's all set up so that they can have Artie say, you know, Tina, you're McKinley's biggest bitch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And then he, she says something like, "No, you're dating." Aren't you? She says something like, "You're dating McKinley's biggest bitch," and yeah. I was like, "Whoa!" Like, yes, again, we're talking. We're talking about the newbies and their arcs. Like, yes, Kitty. When you go back and rewatch season four, and this has been said many times, Kitty is almost unbearable to watch. But like, her evolution has meant that she's become more self-aware and a little bit more like she's still bitchy, but in a likable way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like <laughs> Tina's almost and- gone in the other direction. Sometimes and yeah, isn't season five when they like get three has been introduced and isn't she like McKinley's biggest sister? Well, Brie. Yeah, 
Yeah, Bri uh, is Bri gone already, or is she yeah, going to appear gone. again? She in the okay. Yeah, Bri's done. Okay. <laughs> I just couldn't remember. Um, the, the one other thing that I wrote down in my notes, I think someone who, I think it's Tina who's like, please, and I just found it really funny, the delivery of that line. Yeah. But um, not that we've talked about it yet, but I feel like this, obviously the, the two, well, the three, but these two storylines, especially Artie and Tina's and Rachel and Santana's really mirror one another. And the way that this episode, I think, is structured is that this fight happened before Santana and Rachel's one does, and it very much foreshadows what's going to happen with them. But they I feel like we'll get to that. Yeah. <clears throat> well, you know what I think is interesting, and we'll get more into this more later, I guess. Um, we have, like, two guys fighting, we have two women fighting, and then we have a guy and a girl fighting. And I guess what frustrates me is Santana and Rachel, but we'll talk about it later. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Basically, that all the others kind of manage to resolve themselves, whereas the two women don't. Yeah. But anyway, we'll get to that. Yeah, um, we'll get to that. So let's <laughs> talk about. They get their own little mini diva off. Um, yeah. Which oh, is this where uh, this is this where Unique has her great line? It's like yeah, it is. <laughs> she says something about because um, Will's like, oh, we have to make a decision, and she's like, yes, my decision on what my weave is going to be, and it's just brilliant. I don't remember exactly. Anna, Anna, Win, Anna Wintour chic or Pam Greer fabulousness or something. Do you have this written down or do you just remember this? Because that's amazing. No, I write it down. I don't remember it. <laughs> that's how my bad favorite, of my I never wrote it down. I have my six pages of notes here typed up in front of me. Oh, that's good. <laughs> You're really good. My, my favorite um, is that this theme starts because Mr. Shu walks in and he's like, okay, everybody, we've got two sellers for for nationals or whatever. Blaine obviously has one of them because he's the new Rachel. And then Blaine's face is like, oh, stop. Uh, I love that. He just like, like, he's on the piano. He does his little wiggle. Like, yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so cute. Although I do and want I, to point out, because, of course, like in any scene, I'm like gravitating like Wesley. Um, he's on the piano. And then it cuts to Artie and then it cuts back to Tina and he's not there anymore. And like, obviously it's meant to have, it's meant to have implied that he's like moved because you're next scene sitting down on a seat, but it was just kind of like, you didn't, you didn't see that happen at all. So he's there one minute and he's gone the next. He's just disappeared. And I just found it to be amusing <laughs> editing. Comply. Yeah. <laughs> but like, it's like this whole thing again, like, oh, let's just throw in, we need solos at nationals. It's like fucking hell, Will. <laughs> Just learn. Just yeah. learn. And no, exactly. we, know, we know what happens in nationals. It, it turns out they end up not having any souls at all. Whatsoever. And, and it's really great numbers. Yeah. yeah. And I would really like to have seen what conversation came out, like them sitting down and going, hey, actually, we're going to turn this into a little, you know, Finn tribute. And I would have loved to have seen them actually have that conversation and decide to do it. Not that they'd ever done yeah. it before. But. but they need to have this song. For Tina and Artie to continue fighting. Yeah. <laughs> well, then I kind of, oh, I wrote down in my notes while I was watching this episode that um it it really feels like the tension between Artie and Tina has a lot to do with them being really really similar. Like they have really similar insecurities mm -hmm. in that they both kind of don't feel like they're being seen or recognised in a way. And they I almost feel like they're two sides of the same coin. They're very similar. Mm -hmm. Well, that kind of goes back to even though it was a joke, what Sue says in that previous scene about you have this kind of like, you know, this loner Asian girl and this, 
kid in a wheelchair and how like that was kind of their season one-ish storyline that they were losers and they weren't seen and they were the outcasts and stuff like that and um yeah so i i do think they have that's why they gravitated towards each other i mean we'll see that way in the future in 2009 which is about the past whatever but um Mm. that is yeah i think yeah i think it's nice they brought that back so just sort of which, I mean, obviously they do end up together and I think it's generally accepted that that was because of Jenna and um, Kevin being like, yeah, we're just going to, this is just going to happen, deal with it. I would have loved to have seen something a little bit like, I feel like it was definitely there, like this episode kind of shows you that they still have something and I feel like it didn't have to come out of nowhere and I would feel really sad if I was kind of invested in them as a couple. I mean, invested in them as, with their friendship, but as a couple that they kind of didn't like the foundations are there. They could have done it, but they just didn't. Yeah. yeah just wait till we talk about Britannia and how I feel like as you, they get some really lovely things in season six, but mm-hmm. good Lord, what are they doing with the rest of their lives? What are they doing? You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Argu- I mean, arguably they have one of the better arcs in season six in terms of like the couple arcs, but yeah. Still, it's nice in terms of their not, romance, but everything else. I don't not think so it's much. satisfying. Whatever. Whatever. No. Whatever. It's a different topic. And it, yeah, but anyway, way ahead of myself. Let's talk about um, yeah. Never Gonna uh, What is it? Yeah, you're never going to get it. Loving it. My loving. Which, my loving. I wrote that down for my. Now, I couldn't 100% remember because. Um, I was, I mean, every now and then I like to pay attention to what characters are wearing. And I was specifically remembering that Blaine wore the green outfit in, in the, the scene that we'll talk about later. I'm pretty sure Tina's also wearing green in this scene. And, like, obviously. I thought she had her checkered green. dress on. Like a yeah, but there's green in that dress. Or maybe it's red. I forget. Either way, I feel like there are a lot, there is some use of color in this episode that I found to be really, really interesting. Um, especially like, cause I think I should have written it down, but I forgot. Cause I think when Artie and Tina are in Sue's office at the very end of the episode, they're wearing like, no, when they're doing their speech, they're both wearing like McKinley red. Mm. And then at the end of the episode, Tina's in green and Artie's in blue. Like it's a very, well, they like they've gone, gosh. kind of gone through an arc with what they're wearing. And I just found it to be really interesting, but I'm not good on color meta. Mm. I just wanted to bring it up. Well, it kind of goes into basically season five, and I kind of brought this up at the beginning of the season, um, is very bright and colorful in a way that season four had this dark, depressing, like, muted black and gray palette going on, and season five just turns on the lights, and it's all brightly lit, and it's all, like, cotton candy colored everything, and it just feels much louder, but much more optimistic and much more warmer in a way, and um, I think in the quarterback one, we, we talked a little bit about, like, was was that because of the tragedy that happened behind the scenes? Was that something that they were always going to do? There's some signs of it at the end of season four. But, yeah. I apologize. It was Santana's in a green dress when she does Don't Rain on My Parade, which in and of itself is, like, color meta to, to, to discuss. I, I was getting Tina and um, Santana confused. I'm sorry. <laughs> <clears throat> Um, but Blaine in green is really important, okay? That that bit that bit I was like, yeah, that's really important. Green is envy, he's jealous. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. Um, so yeah, they sing um, My Lovin', and, uh, which is a fun song. And then Tina accidentally knocks Artie over. Um, the bit where Will says, let's break it down now, and everyone gets up, I thought was really cute. That was great. 
and um, so but, then, like, Will, as teacher, is he not noticing that, like, you're just, like, physically shoving each other in front of you? No. No. When does Will notice anything? Come on. <laughs> like, he's been checked out for a while. It sort of, it kind of, like, it kind of, uh, like, I'm not annoyed, but the fact sort of that Tina sort of pushing Artie so that he falls out of the chair, even though it was an accident, it sort of, you know, it puts a little bit sort of an uneven keel on their fight because it puts him in this position as more of a victim. Everybody's, like, running to him and, and you know, she's sort of made to look quite sort of bad in it. I'm just like that. Like, they've kind of, you know, their their barbs, she was a little bit, like, they're painting her in a slightly more negative light in terms of how they're displaying this fight. And I'm like, I don't think that's fair. Well, they did that sort of like previously too when, like, Everything that came out of Tina's mouth felt vicious in a way that Artie's felt defensive. Yeah. So I do think. Yeah, that sort of, and that, you know, mirrors the whole Rachel and Santana thing a little bit. While in this episode, at different points, they're just as bad as each other. It goes back and forth between who's being more awful. When it eventually, when it eventuates in episode 100, where Santana goes on this like awful spiel that paints Rachel as this poor little victim, when they've both clearly been as bad as one another at some point or another, Mm -hmm. I don't like those sort of little sort of writing decisions because it's like there's got to be a better way. Well, it's because I feel like, and this goes back to late season two, really, um, with the Rachel and Santana stuff, whereas Rachel always has to come out the better one. For yeah, whatever reason, yeah. everybody else has to pale in comparison. She cannot really be at fault for her own decision or for stuff. That yeah. Um, well, well, you bring up you bring up Rachel and Santana, but in the same way that you have to have Tina pushing Artie over, there's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, I feel like there's a similar thing when Rachel slaps Santana. Santana. Like, it's a very similar... Like Those, we, we, we don't, we don't, yeah, we don't, we can't really figure out who's in the better position. Let's bring it to a physical point where you can definitely like, so like it's very hard not to take the side of the person that's been, as you say, who becomes the victim in that situation. Yeah. That being said, I in the song, like love Tina's little butt wiggle. <laughs> she sings, sings some line. She's like wiggles her ass at Artie and then he and Unique are just like, oh, no, she didn't hit each other. I'm like, it's hilarious. <laughs> Into little descends at the end. There are some funny moments in it. Though I will say, you did, you mentioned, of course, I mean, I feel that, if, that Artie's the one that gets pushed over. And w- apart from seeing, I think, Sam maybe look at Tina a bit outraged or a few people do look at her, at least we don't hear anybody say anything to her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. feel like if they'd actually had a verbal reaction, it may have brought it to a different place so Mm. then you can kind of go okay she's realized she's done the wrong thing immediately she doesn't need anybody to tell her that to tell her yeah yeah yeah. and I think the nice thing also which is also vastly different from the Rachel Santana thing is that you know when they go they go into the speeches and then they just little flashback where Tina apologizes right off the bat and says look I'm sorry about this and this has escalated too far you're still my best friend and everybody's like ditto and and it just they had their moments and they have their vicious viciousness, but at the same time, they're still deep friends and whatever. Thanks. Let's get each other's backs and let's give these wonderful speeches. And <laughs> it's unfortunate that Rachel and Santana will go a different direction. We'll talk about that more in a moment. But yeah. Um, well, but- I just want to bring it up now because I feel like 
uh, it'll become relevant. Uh, but I apologize. I don't want to skip ahead to the Kurt Elliott stuff, but just quickly, because I feel like what what happens is like when Blaine calls Kurt, Kurt and Blaine have a conversation. Blaine's trying to push Kurt towards taking a route that really is similar to what happens with Santana and Rachel. And what happens in the end is that he takes a route that's very similar to what's going on with Artie mm-hmm. and Tina. And obviously that's the route that works. But why, why that? I feel like that comes together, and I, I feel like I always say this when I'm on these podcasts, it's the reason why I feel like like as much as the new the original New Directions were great and everybody loves them, it's the reason why I feel like the new New Directions are more believable as friends. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's because of well, yeah, what's going on here with Artie and Tina is that they have a fight, it, it, it goes places, but in the end they come together and everybody's kind of happy again, whereas obviously what's going on with um, Santana and Rachel is what's happened as a result of all the stuff that happened to them as members of the New Directions, the original New Directions. Right. And so the the route for like take the new New Directions route and you'll have friends. If you take the original New Directions route, then you won't end up happy. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, I don't think I like I articulated that very well, but I'm just kind of no, sort of getting at again is how I believe the friendships of the new New Directions far more than I believe the friendships of the New Directions, especially given what um, Rachel and Santana say to one another in this episode. Yeah, and I'm gonna put a pin it, but there is something yeah. about Rachel and Santana that the writing remembers things that I don't think the audience necessarily does and we'll get more into that later anyway and it, re- and it retcons things too but yeah again we'll get into that um yeah. let's talk about- I was also oh go ahead sorry I was also just going to say I think like there is like a running thread of frenemies between Molly and Kitty but it's just not given the same screen time but I think when it is kind of touched on it is kind of seen that maybe things aren't Always 100% A-OK between those two still. But it's just that as they move into season five and they're going away from the newbie stories, it's maybe just not given the same amount of screen time and focus, No, but I guess. you have a great point. And in kind of going off to what Izzy was saying, that I think that had they done something like that, it probably would have resulted them in being okay with each other. I mean, dynamic duets is sort of similar. Um but they cut story, her but... apology, which makes me really sad. I, I don't think that was in Dynamic Duets. I think the apology was in Boys and Girls on film. But she apologizes, yeah. essentially apologizes for the, the eating disorder. And they cut it. And I was really honestly, like, as somebody who is never advocating for more newbie screen time necessarily, especially in the early part of season four, I was incredibly disappointed that that scene got cut. Yeah. Well, and, but. Um, so let's talk but, about... Uh, but just quickly, just to uh, go off that, yeah, somebody, like, I don't think they needed another, again, we talked about we didn't need another storyline in here. I would be intrigued to know how they would have taken that storyline because it's obviously two female characters, um, which perhaps they don't really know what to do with. But it's two female characters that have a completely different dynamic to Rachel and Santana, and I feel like maybe they did miss an opportunity to show that they do know how to write females that are in conflict with one another but can work it out. But, yeah, oh, well, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so they have these Sue Mings, and um, I love these pieces. I love that Sue makes comments all the time. But I love how supportive they are and just the little hilarious one-liners. Like that, the end of Artie's where he's like, former lover, patriot, and friend. I mean, it's just... <laughs> 
Is it a bridge too far to call Audi Abrams an all-American hero? (laughs) (laughs) And then you've got, like, the clips of Figgins, like, bawling his eyes out in the audience. (laughs) What is Tina List, like, like Gandhi and, and, like, like, someone else is, like, an Audi Abrams? Yeah, it was, like, as he strains to push that wheelchair up the ramp, the ghosts of fallen heroes follow close behind. So it's so over the top and it's such, oh, my God, it's such a hilarious play on, like, speeches that you do give when you are, you know, when yeah. you've got to write those sort of speeches to give and you find the quotes and the inspirational <laughs> things and you look back and it's just like, oh, you think, and it's it's so funny. You know, and Glee doesn't do a lot of, I, I don't, like, Americanism, teenage, high school drama staples of graduation. They don't have big speeches. They do the whole getting the diploma part of it, but they don't make a big deal out of it. And it's kind of funny that they take some of those things that are tropish in other high school stories and kind of make a joke out of it. And it's kind of, yeah. it is nice. It, 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 it's still more heartwarming in the fact that they have each other's backs, but it's still yeah. hilarious too. It's so. hilarious. Like <laughs> Tina took my broken body and taught me how to love. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I got legs that one Christmas and they probably broke an hour later. Tina's oh, that's love that I appreciate that they like acknowledged that he got those. We finally found out what happened. Why, what happened he, why he never used those legs. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, Sue at the like the very start when she's like, "Let me present absolutely no one's favorite new direction." Yeah. <laughs> Tina Cole. Oh, very funny. Very humorous. Oh, so it was great. Well, yeah, and not just Figgins. Coach Beast was turned up there, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. like she literally doesn't say anything. She's just there to, like, react to these speeches. <laughs> yeah, I don't speeches. think she has That's any it. lines in this episode. No. I don't – I think that yeah. – but yeah. just brilliant scene all around. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the ending of this <laughs> where she's like, okay, you guys split the vote. I mean – Okay, I don't understand. There were four judges. Yeah. I'm assuming she didn't vote. How did they split it? Well, she must have voted. She must have voted for. She must have voted for Blaine getting valedictorian. Yeah, but then there's still three other judges. They all three would have had to have picked somebody. There's three people. How did I don't know? I'm sorry. I don't understand. Nothing about this is logical. So just don't even try. Yeah, because she says, like, who would she vote for? Because she hates them both, is what yeah. she said at the end of it. <laughs> so maybe Beast, like, Beast voted for both of them. <laughs> well, the others refused, the others refused, they voted for both, every of them, all of them voted for both of them. <laughs> yeah, they could have picked. And then Lucerne herself could have just, like, put an end to it and be like, fine, I'm picking one of you. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, she she likes drama. She wanted to add more drama. <laughs> Well, so her um, lovely plan is to make this so good at Dorian. Oh, it's my favorite pot. <laughs> and who is that? Like, we didn't see this coming. I don't know. I'm just, like, I don't know why I didn't. The first time I saw this, I was like, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Blaine Anderson. What? <laughs> okay, but okay, before we go on, because it's really, what is, obviously the style to Dorian is the second, yes. like, highest. Yeah. What, what does that person do? If, if like you know, 
Well, Obviously, the Val Victorian gives the speech. What's the point of a Salvatorian? The Salvatorian actually gives the speech before the Val Victorian. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Um, it doesn't really mean anything. It means you got a 3.9. Sorry for that B in history. Um, <laughs> but, oh, man. But Bland, uh, okay, but Bland is a member of 23 clubs. Yeah, but no. How is no, no, he no. Salvatorian? Because that doesn't make it in. in it's, all, okay. it's all based on. I know, yeah. I know. It's based it, on everything. I know. No. But that just makes me go like. <laughs> if, Blaine, if Blaine was Australian, he would 100% be the valedictorian. Yeah, but he's yeah. American. Yeah. So the poor child is stuck with our educational system. <laughs> he could have gone back to Dalton, okay? I bet he could have gotten valedictorian if he was at Dalton. <laughs> <laughs> they would have made him. Even if he hadn't got there, they would have made him. Yeah, Blaine. <laughs> Sorry about that, B. Here's the crown anyway. <laughs> so, well, and, okay, so this was a source of contention and fandom at the time, but I kind of found it funny where it's like, yeah, I know these things just keep happening to me. <laughs> I'm like, I, Blaine, I was like, I, I, I love the line. I laugh really hard. But I'm like, Blaine, you work really hard for things. They don't get handed yeah, to they you. Don't. And, and it is, I will say, it is not the way Rachel gets handed things. No. I mean, it's kind no. of a joke on it because it's kind of a throwaway thing, but Will does just give him a solo at the beginning of the episode. Um, it, it kind of felt like he's referencing the fact that everybody just loves Blaine. And so, not that, you know, he just gets handed to things that he doesn't earn, but people have brought, people love him and they love him and he's earned that love. But see, I think the, pro- the problem with this throwaway line, as much as I enjoy it, is that it kind of, I mean, even at this point, fandom was still somewhat of a, a place to be. A place to be in, especially if you, because people are very passionate about the things that they love. But a throwaway line like this just kind of gives haters the, you know, the firepower that they really don't need. Because in my opinion, like, it's a funny line, but Blaine does work really hard for all the things that he gets. And yes, he gets a lot of solos, but that's partly because of, you know, they're trying to make money, selling songs. It was a joke in season three that he was Jukebox Blaine. But, like... That's on Will, choosing him for all of these songs. I don't know. I'm just, as I said, I laugh at the line, but I don't like what it implies. Yeah. I can understand that. That makes sense. Um, and as you say, he, he's, it's not like with Rachel where things kind of almost get handed to her in a different way. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I agree. Like, Do you want to try again? Do you have more Blaine thoughts you'd like to share? Um, I love Blaine. Everyone loves Blaine. <laughs> That's my point. You know who else really likes Blaine? Mel. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what's Very your thoughts? Pardon? What's your thoughts? Does Blaine just I'm, get handed to I've sort of the same thoughts. Like, I love that line. Cracked me up. Because it's like, it was. it's definitely a comment sort of to sort of people's reaction to the character and, and, and things like that. And don't like what some people did with it in fandom. Yeah. And it was just really, it was just a funny line in, in the show. And, um, he, you know, Blaine. Thanks, <laughs> yep. right? He works his little butt off. This is the thing. I feel like more so, I think this is what I meant before when I said that I feel like he, was, he works harder than Rachel in that I feel like we've seen Blaine work harder in the show than we ever saw Rachel 
work. Like, it's always implied that Rachel did a lot of things, you know, it's even implied in this episode when Santana says something about, you know, you've been dancing and singing since you were three or whatever. Well, we've never seen any of that. Yeah. Look like, at why that. research is choked by a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. Look at also the fact that Blaine is, um, like, at the end, he isn't like, yeah, yay, me, I get the solo, like Rachel would be. It's, hey, guys, what if, Tina, Let's you do a solo and or whatever, and you can send it to Brown, and Artie, you can be a part yeah. of this too. And he tries to bring everybody together, and he tries to be, you know, uh, compassionate about everybody else you know it's not just that he is the star but he wants to make art and help people and that has been consistent you know for his entire career as a character on this show and that is the big contrast um to to rachel at least in my yeah. Which again drives home all the stuff, as I said, new, new directions make far more sense as friends to me. Although then it makes me think that the advice that he gives Kurt is really odd. It is I feel very like odd. We'll get to that. Yeah, we'll get to that. That is like literally the opposite of what Blaine himself does. Although I do appreciate, like, I, I don't know whether I'm, I'm getting this wrong, but I don't think he officially gave up the title of valedictorian in all of that. No. Like, he was all really nice about it, but he's still valedictorian. I'm sure he did. Not that we ever really get to see it, because, you know. No. You know what's funny, though? There was no valedictorian in the class of I guess maybe, did Quinn get it? I don't, I don't know. I don't think it was any anybody, I guess, yeah. in the new new direction. It wasn't a plot point. Yeah. No. It wasn't important then, so we didn't have to discuss it. It's only important now. Well, it also goes to show, I think this group of seniors is smarter um, in general. So we're all, I think, smarter. I think if, if it had been anyone in the New Directions, it would have, like the original New Directions, it probably would have been Quinn. Yeah. Yeah. She's gone to Yale. <laughs> yeah. All right. So let's move and change directions and talk about New York and talk about Santana and Rachel. Um, right off the bat, because people always want to bring it up, and I don't really want to talk about it very much, but this plotline was obviously inspired by whatever issues were going on with Leah and Naya. Okay, that's great. I don't really want to speculate on who was right or wrong, or what the hell was going on. Obviously it was something, and the writers thought it would be funny, so you put it in here. Um, but yeah. That's, that's, I feel like... Of all the things, if if two of your main actresses are in doing like having a conflict in whatever way, sure, let's put them in a lot of scenes together. That makes total sense, right? Like it just, I don't understand the logic behind it. Don't know. Don't have an answer there for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing um, I mean, I I've not read any of uh, like I, I know I think Naya mentioned it maybe in a book but I've not read it so I don't actually quite know what happened or no, what was so I, bad I, about it but either like of them really don't allude to anything in fact both Malia and Naya have said that it's been blown out of proportion um and Naya said something in her book about you know whatever when you are working long hours with people sometimes you know personalities don't mesh and I, she said something like, I don't hate her, but I don't think we'll ever be BFF. That's basically all that, that the, I mean, as far as gossipy as that book was supposed to be, it really wasn't. Yeah. There was nothing in there. But, like, I mean, you can, you can say that about anybody that you work with, really. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. So, but that was also, I think, at the time. And sometimes you have, like, 
tips and stuff with people you work with, and it's no big deal. I think that was also the same time that Naya was having relationship issues, and she also got into it with the writers because that's why she was fired for an episode. Oh, that's right. That's why she didn't appear in the season finale, isn't it? I will I will say this much only just because it's something that I did write down and it's something that I noticed I mean Naya has always been a very slight person but when she's singing don't rain on my parade and she's in that skin tight dress every time I see it I'm like she's so skinny like it yeah, just, she got really skinny yeah at this point. So who knows? You know, I, I don't want to pick sides, and I don't want to say, oh, obviously it's probably this person because they're this way. Or this, you know, it doesn't matter. Like we're really pretty much here to talk about the characters. Yeah, so, that's true. Um, so yeah, yeah, I just wanted to because you know it always comes up, and I'm just like, well, okay. But so talking about the characters. Um, so here's <laughs> my thing. I, I just have like this two cents I need to share about this because going into it. Oh, and we'll get into the details of what this particular fight was, but I think the writers had this mentality going into it that all of the times that Santana has been a complete bitch to Rachel, which has been a lot, and if you go back to seasons one and two, and even a little bit in three, she's not very nice. There's a lot of nastiness. But then Santana has, like, season three and season four of arcs of kind of maturing. And the fact that I feel like the writers kind of threw that out the window in some respects and tried to rely on this Santana is an awful person dynamic with Rachel because they, I felt like they kept trying to make Rachel the, the person in the right and it just didn't work for me because of how much Santana had grown over the course of the last couple mm. of years and how much yeah. wrong I feel like Rachel was in this particular argument. But I was just going to say, in the beginning, like, this is the first kind of scene that I have, that Santana seems, like, really quite nice and supportive mm-hmm. of Rachel. You know, whatever kind of underlying um, jealousy or envy seems quite nice and a bit genuine, I think, just in the beginning anyway. Mm-hmm. And I think that's different maybe the relationship they've had in high school and in the past and stuff. Yeah. Well, that's, and I think that's maybe part of it, because you look at these opening scenes, and um, I feel like here's Santana, she's genuinely bummed, even though, granted, honey, you've been in New York for, like, what, a couple of months, and you haven't gotten yeah. really a gig. Don't even. Oh, no. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, but, you know, so she's feeling down about herself, and Rachel gets this, and Rachel's, I mean, good Lord, not so much at the beginning. Um Rachel is like, hey, let's hang out and you can come be feel pretty at this photo shoot thing. And Santana's just feeling down about herself, which is why she goes out for Fanny. Uh, so I don't know. I'll let you guys elaborate. <laughs> yeah. I kind of had it written down here that um, in my notes that Rachel's like when she's on top, she's really concerned about also, about also appearing to be kind of good and charitable. But it's yeah. more so about like the appearances of it. As in, like, bask in how much fortune I have that I humbly share right. with you. Right, it feels kind of shallow. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. feel genuine. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, the no. thing that I didn't appreciate, especially in the start of this episode, is where Santana basically retconned this whole, like, oh, um, you know, me, Santana, and Britt really didn't like you, but it was me that kind of was leading the charge. And I was sitting here going, I'm pretty sure the reason why Quinn didn't like Rachel was to do with this whole love triangle with Finn. That had nothing to do with you. Do with you. Yeah. And I, I just don't understand why we needed to, why, why they felt like we needed to bring that back up again. Like, in case you for, guys all forgot, Santana was a horrible person. As you said, we needed to remind everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because she's come so far since then. Yeah. <clears throat> I was yeah. just going to say, Mel, you've been really quiet. I don't know if you had any. Um, I mean, I don't sort of, my perception sort of at this point is just more of like how down Santana is. The fact that she didn't, as Rachel said, that she didn't go Lima Heights adjacent on that woman, that um, this is this is kind of like a Santana that we haven't, we haven't seen before. And, uh, you know, I, I think Rachel is, you know, generally, genuinely trying to make her feel better, but she is you know, obviously she's got a huge thing happening in her life at the moment. Of course, you know, that's going to be your focus. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. That she's not quite recognising just exactly how Santana is feeling and she's more about, you know, oh, I've done a really nice thing, you know, I've offered her here, you know, goes on a spiel about the fact that she's going to be on the front page of this magazine on and on and on to the point where Santana has to go, well, what does this actually have to do with me before she gets to the point of, oh, you can come along. Mm-hmm. Um that's um and then you know obviously like the foreshadow you know i hope i can be as cool as you and the roles yeah with it. oh and it's like oh my god well yeah um, I, you know going off your point mel i think there's also an interesting i want to say class thing going on too because you said you know she doesn't go live behind seducin on this person but she can't afford to like she can't lose her yeah. job she doesn't have daddy yeah. paying for her you know yeah. and i think that uh, that also, I guess, puts me on Santana's side in respect because yeah. I'm like, here's Rachel who has been, again, like handed all of these things and she gets Fanny on her first try. I mean, come on. Yeah. And, you know, Santana has been working her butt off and being pleasant about I mean, she she's not always a nice person, obviously, but, you know, and so, so yeah, that's like it's setting it up so much in Santana's favor that when they try and flip it, it doesn't feel right. Yeah. yeah. Well, they, I think the other the other problem is that again the show makes again knowing where the show goes as opposed to where it is now and knowing that Rachel does give up Fanny, it's very hard to kind of put this into perspective. Like she'll ruin this completely, like destroy this friendship over something that she then gives up in, in a matter of what, like not even that long afterwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I have real trouble feeling sympathy for Rachel during these these storylines mm-hmm. in season five. Yeah. Um, uh, I will I say, love- say one more thing as well in this opening scene because coming from a vast history of, like, hospitality when I was younger, it really bothers me that they have their hair down. And oh, yes. Like, <laughs> I wrote that down. Her hair should be up. I wrote that uh, down. <laughs> That bothers me in every like when they're working or even when they're rehearsing. It's like sh- yep. if you're doing hours and hours of dancing, tie your hair up. It's got to yeah. be annoying. <laughs> I always yeah, it's just like you would not have your hair down around that much food. You just yeah. wouldn't. No, like a liability. Would. Someone's gonna choke on your hair. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, Santana's line about customers making her take toast back. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> they, oh, she, 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 she appetite she, for bread products. Yeah. 
Also, she said something about not being able to afford a noose to hang herself with, and I was like, yeah, same. <laughs> I also, I also um, was thinking when I was watching this scene, like, I have had that customer. Yeah. I legitimately had a customer where, like, I was... So, yeah, I think everybody that has ever worked in any kind of food service or retail service or any kind of service service has had somebody who just doesn't get it. Like, uh, oh, yeah, so <laughs> I feel you on that. Um, yeah. But, yeah, so we get Brave, the song that they sing together. I, I like the song. I think it's nice. It's, I don't know. It's good, yeah. They sound good together. They do sound good. Sweet. Yeah. Um, and it's all like Santana's fantasy, isn't it? Like the way that yeah. it ends. Yeah. A lot like of it is they do the, talk about, you know, getting dressed up for the photo shoot, though. And yeah. Rachel is wearing it, what Barbara Streisand wore at some oh award goodness. show or something the, like that. When she won her Oscar or something like that? Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. There's, I found that. Pardon, sorry? What, Lauren? Usually when you're, I guess playing a role that's been played by someone iconic before you don't you're not kind of going for imitation or mimicry you kind of want to make it your own i found that really weird well that's brilliant they don't even there's so many times that she's dressed up as barbara Streisand. yeah yeah having having said that though like watching her in that in that costume it made me really go oh my goodness i wish that we could see leah michelle do funny girl though like i'm i'm not often feeling that but in that moment, I was like, man, she would kill that. Mm. Like, to see, like, whether it was on Broadway or, like, some, you know, one of those live musicals or whatever. But I would, yeah, I think she'd do an amazing oh. job. Because she really did oh, look so. amazing in that costume. She did. She did. Yeah. I'm sure she'd kill it. Yeah. Um, we then kind of move on to, I'm skipping over the Kurt thing, and talking about um, Rachel, like, as she's on her way out and she's going mm-hmm. off about how she can't be in band practice, which was, you know, I said this in another episode. This girl, her, like, the lover of her life just passed away. She's in a Broadway musical. She's in school full time and she's working a job. She should not be in a band. Okay, whatever. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, she, she, oh, God, I'm going to slap her in this scene because she's just like, being a star is just so hard. And you're like, oh, good Lord. Uh, I know what you're like. I do. Oh, oh, that's. Go ahead, sorry. Was that? I was just gonna say, I enjoy the delivery of that line. It was hot. As much as I'm, you know, she puts the sunglasses on and just like walks out. I I also love that outfit. That hat's really cute. Yeah, it's like 100%. It's like 100% peak Rachel, but it's yeah. Like, it's gonna, yeah, it's gonna annoy you a little bit later on. But like in that sort of exact moment, as she's walking out the door before things have, have turned to the point that they turn to. I was like, oh, for God's sake, Rachel. But yeah. it, I did have a little bit of a giggle. <laughs> but sort of what sort of at, at the end of that when she leaves and, you know, obviously that's the moment where Santana sort of starts, comes to that decision to audition, mm-hmm. sort of like her expression on her face, it's like it's, it's not indicating something that she's doing maliciously right. or... It's just a more of a like, oh, hang on a second, you know, I could do that. It wasn't, it was an like, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, wasn't coming from a place of I'm going to bring, you know, you know, stuff her, I'm going to bring her down. It was legitimately, oh, hang on a second, you know, I need something. This is happening. Um, but wouldn't, like, the audition have, like, happened? They, like, already chosen the understudy yeah, from general have. audition? When they hired her, they would have hired the understudy. I mean, you, Melissa, yeah. you know more than I would, but. I, I just <laughs> yeah I it was like yeah don't doesn't it usually come from a member of the 
chorus or like somebody who's been in the like workshopping the show because that yeah. makes more sense. There'll be understudies and then there would be swings in there and it's like and it's yeah. Like, because it's not like I miss a well, performance or anything like unless you're going LA to audition for a TV show right and at the <laughs> same time she would have days off I mean she's not going to be working every 100% single show your understudy yeah. is there because you don't do every show and so I mean it's come on requirement. You know, it just cracks me up when they get things like Broadway stuff wrong because you just you really should know that and you have people like why? I mean, why does Leah Michelle? Why is Leah Michelle not saying this is wrong? This is how <laughs> I've literally been on Broadway. Yeah, like, I've this always wondered that. But um, so yeah, but let's talk about Santa and his audition because I <laughs> actually really like this version of "Don't Rain on My Parade." I think she did a really yeah. good job. I, I, I mean, I don't like. It doesn't compare to Leah's. I don't, I'm not a big fan of it, but it does. I mean, she doesn't sound terrible, but I just don't think it compares to Leah's Don't Rain on My Parade. No. Just, I just, also, she doesn't know what to do with her hands. Yeah. Very strange. It's her, Rachel's face and reactions throughout this is fantastic. The fact that she yeah. comes through the doors, like season one section. Yeah, like season one, Rachel. <laughs> and it's just, it. and like, yeah, I'm the same, like, obviously, it's a version that's been designed to suit Naya, but I think yeah. she does a really good job at it. It's fun to watch and listen to. Um, oh, yeah. I, I do I get to see like, the sides of her in that dress. It, I, you can't help but look at it and go, oh, my God. Yeah. But um, Rachel's fat, it's, it cracks me up. <laughs> yeah. I When I was listening to the song, it, like I, I will always prefer Rachel's version of Don't Rain On My Parade. But I think Santana, like, she gave, I get, like, I tend to get chills when I hear really, really amazing singing. I got chills. But, um, yeah, I don't, I, even though it, I felt like she did an amazing job, I still, I don't kind of believe her as in this song, despite how amazing she sang this song. And I felt like, yeah, it was great. It was a great version, but I still don't see you in yeah, there, I think there's... But, like, but that comes down to, like, I don't think she, if she didn't know Rachel, if they hadn't come from the high school, same high school, she probably wouldn't have got that role. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, yeah, I, I actually think the, the unbelievable as the rest of it is, I think the choice of Peter Facinelli's character to be like, okay, I'm going to pick her as your understudy because we can play this angle up, I think that was totally believable. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I feel like, um, oh, shoot, I just got Oh, that's what it was. I feel like Leah's or Rachel's version is very much, you know, the musical version. And, and I don't want to say the correct way, but it was definitely Fanny esque. I mean, what is meant in the context of And um, I think the Santana version is a little more poppy. It's a little yeah. bit more like what you hear on the radio. Yeah. Um, but I think, but I think the problem is, is that despite the fact that they've obviously changed the key and whatnot to make it suitable to Naya, as I said, she's still kind of performing it as Rachel would, because I said she doesn't really know what to do with her hands. Right. She's just sort of standing yeah. there. I don't think she commands the same kind of presence that Rachel slash Leah does, and I feel like they should have done something different. Like, but is is that what they would be? You know, that Santana is using what she's seen Rachel do. Yeah, well, I was going to say, it's, it's deliberate. Well. So when she comes down the stairs, it's the way you know, Rachel does that confectionals. I think it's a deliberate callback 
to say, hey, I watched you do this, now I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be your understudy. It's, it's a statement, almost. Because she's yeah. mimicking, I think, racism. I'm actually but, yeah. like, trying to compliment you two. Yeah. Although I was, the, the shoes that she's wearing are completely impractical, and I can't help but look at them. They're, <laughs> like just, they're just she's tall, and she can barely walk in them. All the shoes, everyone in this show, like one scene, Tina's in like wearing high heels. It's like, who wears heels like that to school? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, people that aren't and that aren't actually in school. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, so she becomes, well, I guess we get the next scene. And, and this is, she hasn't even gotten the understudy yet. And mm-hmm. this is where Rachel just goes off. And I feel like yeah. this, is the, this is the crux of this argument right here. And I get that somebody like Rachel would be insecure of somebody like Santana coming in. Um, This is where I feel like especially that the writers are playing on that season one and two dynamic that has been there in the season. And I feel like Rachel is so, you know, insecure about this. And, but I just, I can't, can't articulate I think the problem the problem that I found is that the the reason that the reasons that Santana articulates that you know like Rachel doesn't want her to have the role is like you know you want something over me um this goes back to high school that kind of stuff and I'm thinking that's not the reason like I feel like you're in the right here but you're giving the wrong reasons which yeah like makes it like harder to side with you even though I sort of already do but it, like I'm very conflicted about it. I also think, yeah. like, this is, see, this, when Santana gets put in a corner, she lashes out. This is just what happens. And she is pulling dirty tricks out, like, I'm going to use your own insecurities against you because you're putting me in a corner. That's how it felt to me. And, I, you know, no, I wish she hadn't done that because we were siding with you, Santana. You didn't need to pull out yeah. these, like, high school tricks that you were doing in high school because you've grown since then. But I feel like it's the way the writers are trying to get to the point where they have Rachel slap Santana. And I yeah. I hate that moment. I really hate that the show, whenever it does these huge blowout things, it's usually between Santana and Quinn, they get physically violent. And I'm just like, stop doing that. Stop. Show. Stop doing that. That's no. just my but- the one thing I just wanted to point out that I found really interesting about the way that this scene is framed is that obviously, like, Kurt's in the middle and they're both on either sides of the loft. And I just found it to be really interesting that Rachel's on the side of the loft where that light-up star is, like it's behind her. And it was just something that I couldn't help but, like, look at. Like, here's a reminder, Rachel is a star, just in case you forgot where this is going and who's going to come out on top. Pointing out that when they're moving towards kind of Rachel's bedroom, Kurt's just standing in like that living area, like back. So Kurt's standing Maybe. back where? Standing somewhere in the middle. Okay. It looks so dumb. <laughs> oh. It's just right, like all that moment when um, Rachel does slap to Santana, and you can just hear him go <gasps> in the. You like you don't see him, but you hear this his gas as well. An offering to make, offering to make espresso to try and fix the time. I don't think the girls need caffeine. I don't. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> tea. Um, it's sort of like I try, like because I can, I, I get where Rachel's coming from. That, um, yes, you know, Santana perhaps should have um, said something oh. to her before she auditioned. Um, 
but question one, when would she have had the chance, okay, to actually tell her? The decision was made after you, you left. Um, and sort of, and then obviously Santana's point of view is, well, we were going to fight about it anyway, so yeah. let's, do, let's do it and then ask for forgiveness later sort of thing. I, so I, I get where Rachel was coming from, but it's similar to what I think was it Pam was saying that it's 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 hard to sort of support her in the way that she goes for the in the way that she goes about this argument that she um you know that she bring that she's a New York Jew so she can't take the role and then it's um that she's um, and then when she turns nasty about because Santana can't stand it that she's made it and she's just begging to be her understudy and and that's the yeah. point where Santana after that point where Santana turns a little bit nastier. It's sort of like Rachel sort of driven that from her. Um, and it's, yeah, it's like I sort of, it's, it's hard with me with Rachel because it's sort of like I get why you would be upset, um, but the level to which she was like, because Kurt at the start, like, do you know how insane you sound <laughs> when she's going on about her responsibilities with it's Miss Streisand's song and when she dies it's going to be my responsibility to sing it things like that um that she perhaps needed to take a step back I think I think Santana has a like Santana's the crux of Santana's argument is that if this were any other role you wouldn't care and like that is uh, like a hundred percent true but at the same time just just to to be on Rachel's side Santana knows how much this means to her. She's known her for however long. And she's known, like, way back when in season one, we knew that this song was, like, Rachel's. Like, she she could pull it out. She literally pulled it out of the bag when they needed it the most. Like, it was the song that she didn't need any rehearsal for. She could just sing it and and it won them, what was it, sectionals, regionals? I don't know. Um, So, like, Santana can't pretend that she doesn't know how much this means to Rachel. And even if she couldn't get a hold of her before the the audition happened, making an effort would have been far better than not making one at all. Would Rachel have reacted reacted as as violently as she did if Santana used a different song to audition with? Maybe. Like I get why they did it, and and we yeah. because we've talked about the reasons why they did it and why they chose that song. But I feel like the fact that she chose that song made it even more personal. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So the, yeah, it, it, like, there's no sort of they both have their moments in terms of who's is bad. You know, they're kind of as bad as one another, though. I think Rachel's just slightly a little bit more off. Well, she's completely off the edge in this scene, which yeah. then gets. <laughs> Santana off the edge as well. Yeah. I think is what sort of feel like because she was so worked up and we understand why Rachel would be so worked up. It's then got Santana on the defence and when Santana gets on the defence, Santana is incredibly nasty. Yeah, I mean, just look how she's going to react when Kurt, you know, interrupts her proposal next year. Like, Mm. I mean, I'm not excusing it, but it is, yeah, so. Yeah. Um. Kind of moving into the next bit, you know, you get this little bit where, like, okay, they're both going to have to work this job. And I, I kind of like the director saying, get over it. Like, yeah, know, I'm not here for this. This scene cracks me up every time because I don't know if you're aware, the word fanny means something completely different. Yeah. <laughs> so when and then, I think in England on, as well. Yeah. When she starts going on about, I'll come back from the dead and I'll play this part just to spite you. And she's like, zombie fanny. And she's like, good fanny. Actually, fanny. 
Zombie fannies and ghost fannies just make me crack up every single time because it just has a totally different connotation to what that scene is actually intending. Okay, this is something that I, I do want to know your opinions on because Rachel's got it in her mind that Santana is going to sabotage her. Mm-hmm. Do we think that would have actually happened? Like, I, See, like I'm just that's curious. My problem with the Rachel argument. It's presented as Santana was not going after Rachel personally. She was going after a part that she wanted to make it big. At no point in the first 20, 25 minutes of this episode did Santana have anything, you know, going against where she was annoyed with Rachel a little bit, but there was nothing showing maliciousness in Santana, which is why this whole second half of, you know, mm-hmm. Santana's trying to sabotage me. Santana doesn't even seem like she gets the idea until Rachel plants it in her head. So yeah, in her head, yeah. I feel like all yeah. of this is like a, a defense re- mechanism to go against Rachel because Rachel made it personal. Yeah, I don't think Santana was ever intending. I think Santana's like, cool, I can sing, I can dance, and I can make some money while doing it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. I think is where oh, she well, was coming. It will. I don't have to serve rude white ladies in the diner anymore. <laughs> to be to be fair though, Rachel does have a point when she says, kind of. I mean. This is not the only role of the understudy, but, I mean, when you are an understudy, all you can hope for is something happens to lead so you do get an opportunity to, like, go on go stage. On. Yeah. yeah. And I think, correct me, I, correct me if I'm wrong, I think that actually happened to, I think it was Sutton Foster. Like, she was doing previews in a Thoroughly Modern Millie and then the lead, I think, got injured in some way and so she had to be the one to bring it to Broadway but they loved her in the preview so much that she became the lead on Broadway and she won her first journey and that was the start of her career like it has happened and I realize that yeah. it's not the same situation because I mean Rachel's worried about Santana sabotaging her but like these are that that, that is the dream for the understudy is that something happens yeah. to the, but the lead thing and is- you get your break Santana has no desire. I don't think Santana has a desire to be a Broadway star. Right. She wants to be famous. Exactly. Um, and you know, if you want to be famous, Broadway's typically not. You know, Broadway's Broadway. a pretty specific little fandom that, unless you know, you're Lin Manuel Miranda, um, it's a pretty specific little sort of fandom there. So, um, I, you know, to me, her going for this wouldn't be going hoping that she. It's just a. It's a job to tide her over until she, you know, releases another sex tape and takes off on YouTube or, do you know what I mean? Like, it's... Yeah. Um, but but what a job, though. Like, the yeah, understudy of the lead role. That's what I, that's the part that I that I kind of can't put this all together because it's a fantastic point. This is just a means to an end for Santana. But at yeah. the same time, this could be the beginning of a really big career for her in Broadway if that was what she wanted to pursue. Yeah. It's not so like I, I like that's why I kind of can't put these two things together well, outside of the whole Rachel. One of the issue. problems with Santana overall with her character is that, and they, they never they never do this. They never give Santana a fixated point to go towards. Santana goes off and she's like, I want to be famous, but they don't really do anything. I want to be a dancer, but they don't really do anything. I want to do this Broadway thing, but they, they never. And even at the end, you know, she gets married to Britney. Okay, what's she going to do with what? Life? Yeah, what's she actually doing? They don't answer it. And I think it's unfortunate if you're a Santana fan that you don't get any kind of definition on what Santana's going to do with the rest of her life. So Santana, yeah. unfortunately, yeah. becomes yeah. another prop in Rachel Berry's story. Yeah. yeah. 
And especially like right here too, as yeah, the, the, that's all that sh- this understudy thing kind of becomes is just a prop to create drama with Rachel rather than to further Santana's own story. Well, let's yeah. talk about um, every breath you take. And, uh, I, you know, this edit, I really like this number. <laughs> I did too. Edited I did really well. Mm-hmm. Well, I lo- I mean, because the, the song is creepy. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the fact that they use it to such the, you know, literal degree is great. Yeah, not good. Cool. And I think because, it was choreographed really well. Um, yeah. The, you know, when they pan out and they've got the two levels I re- and the doors, and I really like that. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and but, like, as I said, this comes back to why didn't you just pick an understudy from the chorus? Because somebody who's already in the chorus would already know all the dance moves and all the songs and everything. You have to teach Santana from scratch. Like, where's yeah. the logic? <laughs> there they are teaching her. They know them. Mm. Um, they threw logic out the window when they wrote their own songs for nationals. Um, <laughs> <laughs> only then? Oh, yeah, true. Let's go back to sectionals where they perform whatever. Never have logic. <laughs> anyway, um, but bringing the Rachel and Santana stuff to a close, um, we get that final scene where um, basically they fight. Kurt, let's talk about Kurt in this for a little bit. Uh, because okay. he's in the middle of this, and he actually more kind of takes Santana's side on it. And He does! Yeah. <laughs> Probably he's and, then, and, then Rachel, and then Rachel uses that as a reason, like, to, to be, like, not, not hate on him necessarily, but to be like, oh, okay, I'm angry at both of you now. I, well, she I, does because she says you're not even her, like, two friends who are not even my friends is what mm-hmm. she says. She turns on Kurt in this scene as well. I feel mm-hmm. like old dogs new tricks does not come out of nowhere. <laughs> I mean, oh, goodness. I, Kurt has been dealing with this stuff since season four. Uh, yeah. So, which is really hard because there are moments when they make their friendship into something really lovely and really special, and there's other times when they sort of just throw it out the window, like here, yeah. like it, then, it's really frustrating. I do kind of like when she's like, "I'm not, you know, going to be with my traitor traitor friends anymore." Whatever she said, <laughs> like I don't want to be in this negative energy or something. Yeah, because this is where she brings up the understudy sabotaging the yeah. lead. I think. And she's like, this is betrayal, Kurt. <laughs> I, also, I also wonder if it has to do with Kurt's own plot line where... Bed, I have squatters right. Yeah. <laughs> I also Kurt's own plot line. Yeah, I also wonder what it has to do, well, a little, a tiny little bit, with Kurt's own plot line where he's been seeing Adam, um, not Adam, Elliot. <laughs> <as this laughs> Adam Lambert. Adam Lambert. <laughs> Yeah, maybe it relates to how he saw Elliot as a saboteur and and he wasn't as, yeah. as such. So he's yeah. reflecting on Santana in that way. Because he's sorted that out at this point, hasn't well, he? So Yeah, and also, like, Santana and Kurt have, I mean, I think other than the interrupted proposal in season six, they never really have any beef with each other. I, I don't, I mean, other than every once in a while a couple of barbs at each other, but there's... She didn't did like when they sung Perfect at it, and that was really upsetting. If I recall. Way back when in season three when Kevin Blaine sung Perfect and she was like, that was the worst thing I've ever oh, seen. Right. I'm like, Santana. At the same time, they were like, whatever, Santana. They got, like, <laughs> we sing this song in the car. We don't need you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't think. I think Santana, oh, sorry. I think Kurt may understand Santana in a way that Rachel doesn't. Um, Being like that, that, yeah. I suppose that underdog or that second, that person who's, 
in the sphere of this star who's burning bright mm-hmm. and having to fight for everything. Yep. I think he gets he gets that a little bit more. And then also on that being said, like he and Santana have been quite buddy buddy in 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 the loft and things like that. Like calling back to season four when they're snowed in and they're sort of mm-hmm. ganging up with Rachel and on in terms of Brody and him being and, and all that sort of stuff. So they've obviously this relationship has has developed as well. And I think that's why he's sort of so you know, he doesn't want to see them break up. Right. Is that, I think that's what he says, like, please don't break up. And that's when she goes on some sort of thing about this is what happens when friends break, this happens and friends break up and call Santana poison and goes on, goes on her little rant. And he just wants to order pizza and talk. And I feel so bad for Santana in the poison moment because I feel like, you know, a lot, and, and as somebody who really couldn't stand Santana in seasons one through three a whole lot, I feel like if you're that type of person who's always been told they're awful and you've been trying to make yourself better, to be just reinforced that you are an awful person just is, like, the worst thing. And I, it just always makes me feel for Santana in that one moment when she's like, yeah, she's poison, whatever, it doesn't matter. None of the stuff in season three mattered. None of the stuff in the loft mattered. She's awful. Mm-hmm. Why should Santana yeah. even try at that point? Yeah. Just, I feel like like Rachel's just she's desperate she's reached that you know we I suppose we've all had those moments when you know you're in a fight or something like that and you you just can't back down it's like you yeah. know no this is my point I'm not gonna back down I can't back down um she you know there there is this lingering stuff from high school that that she's not able to quite let go and you know yes yeah, she's got Fanny, you know, is everything that she's wanted, but she's still going to, there's still that sort of lack of some confidence in her to think that it could still be like somebody like Santana could come and take that away from her. And so she's, you know, she is quite, in this particular scene, like she's clearly the the more awful one, but it's because, you know, she's she can't, to back down would be seen as giving up. Mm-hmm. And the fact that she the fact that she turns on Kurt sort of just shows what sort of point she's at. I think that she to put this in also, Oh, sorry, you can go. I also think it's kind of part of Rachel's self narrative that yeah. she has to kind of she's this kind of talented, destined underdog that's she has to be you know she's always facing some kind of odds and hardship and she that she has to kind of win against mm-hmm. and that. You know, here she is. She's been giving a once in a lifetime kind of role straight out of high school, practically. And she's she's still kind of searching for the parts of the world that are still against her, like because she basically she kicks herself out in this kind of scene, you know. Yeah. And so when she's crying at the end, I don't. Again, I don't know if I feel all that much sympathy for her because she's kind of creating this. Um, this moment out of not out of nowhere necessarily but she's creating this kind of hardship for herself because she feels like she's always having to fight against it when it's not always necessarily there when was the last time rachel was an actual underdog though no but she sees herself as one right i know i know and i told and (laughs) and the season one rachel definitely was um but sometimes it's frustrating when the and it's not like i don't play the character because it's the writing that, like, when you keep handing the character stuff without having to work, like that MPV, MVP at the end of original song, or prom queen, or, you know, stalking Carmen Thibodeau to get a place, like, <laughs> when you keep handing and she doesn't have any consequences for failing, 
it's frustrating. I don't, you know, it's hard to feel yeah. compassionate for her. I, I, that's why one of the reasons why I appreciate when she later decides to, you know, skip out of her show and she has consequences for going off and doing the TV show and she fails. And it's like, oh, thank God, she finally has to, you know, deal with those consequences of failing. I do, I do want to bring this up only just because it occurred to me as Mel was speaking about how, you know, this is something that, that she really wants. Just to put this into context, though, Rachel did sort of just lose the love of her life. Yeah. And it's something that I'd completely, like, completely forgotten. So, of course, she's going to be very, like, protective of this thing that she has because she like she's she's already lost something she doesn't want to lose this as well which again as we as you bring up she she ends up ends up abandoning it anyway but another thing we I, I keep forgetting is that they are they're just out of high school they're only meant to be 18 or 19 years old and i feel like maybe they are dealing with this maybe more like 16 year olds but at the same time they're still teenagers so there's a lot of things that i that we have to keep in mind when judging her i think i think it's because with Rachel, they set, you know, they put the reset button with her so often, like at the beginning of almost every episode, and then she comes to a heartfelt, I guess, realization at the end. And a couple of episodes later, she's kind of back to doing the same thing. That's why you kind of you forget about that, those kinds yeah. of things. Yeah. As I said, I completely, like, I completely forgot to take into consideration that Finn had passed away. But at the same time, it almost feels like the quarterback was a, like a bubble that exists in its own space. Yeah. That still influences what happens in the season, but they don't necessarily bring it up enough for me to remember it. And I feel like it, it might have been easier to perhaps feel for where, where Rachel is coming from if we perhaps had some form of reminder that, hey, Rachel has just lost Finn. Perhaps this is the reason why she's lashing out at Santana, encroaching upon a space that is so personal to her. Right. But we don't get that, so it's much Great. harder to feel for her. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to... Great impute that into the situation rather than it actually being referenced. Yeah. But that's a good point. It's something that I didn't think of at all. So that's No, but neither did I until yeah, just Yeah. I didn't think about it when I was watching it. Yeah. Mm. I do think though that it 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 comes back to uh, Oh does it come uh, back to (laughs) Sorry Lauren, what does it come back to? Yeah, her self narrative. I like, as you said in season one, she was the underdog, and but she came out of that. I think she always sees herself as that. And having lost Finn, I think it's and all these other things, it just kind of exacerbates her self perception. I think. Mm-hmm. Even yeah, even though she's not perhaps the underdog anymore, yeah, she's always because yeah, I guess it's the thing. She's always got to feel that way because she's always got to overcome something, as you were saying. And I but, can understand from where like, where. Uh, oh, sorry. I didn't mean to cut you. I was, was going to say, from our perspective, there's nothing to overcome here. Yeah, like, she's searching for things to try and overcome with, yeah. when there isn't really. And I think, and perhaps that, that that has to do with the fact she doesn't maybe feel like she has purpose again because Finn's been like she's lost Finn. But like the show never explicitly tells us this, so we have to try and find reasons to feel sorry for her in this situation, which is really sad because they exist. And yeah. I think also on top of that, there's. You wouldn't, I think most people probably would not end up being college roommates with somebody who used to torment them in high school. Mm-hmm. And I, I, like, again, that goes back to me saying they're trying to play on this dynamic that was there in high school, too. Uh, you know, so. Um, and again, I feel like it's a lost opportunity because there was 
probably a great storyline to be had about how Rachel and Santana did overcome the stuff that happened to them in high school, rather than just talking about it, maybe actually seeing it happen. I don't know. Because when the two, like, I mean, it, it makes for good TV when they're sort of snarking at one another, but when they do have a heartfelt moments, you kind of are like, yeah, I believe that they're friends. I kind mm-hmm. of wonder also if this whole thing, because it's always got to be about Rachel, I wonder if part of this is all long game narrative to prop up Rachel during opening night because Santana is the one that comes back and is, you know, Rachel, I mean, is the one that gets Rachel out of bed and props her up and says, you're wonderful, you can go do this. Yeah. So. Do you think they had at this point decided that she was going to abandon the show at the end of the season? I, yes, I do, actually. I think that they knew where they were going at the end of season, at the end of the season. I actually think that they were originally going to do what they did at the beginning of season six at the end of season five, but they decided to wait. Um, but I will go into that later. Because, <laughs> so, like, she talks about how this role is so life-altering, like it's the biggest deal in the world. And, again, knowing where it ends up, it kind of it, it cheapens it a little bit, in in my opinion, only just because. story. I think Rachel's story, which I actually think is very interesting, that she was so psyched to do this. And this is, you know, her first big break, and she gets to play the stream role. And to get there and realize this it's is not what you wanted. Right. Yeah. And I think that is a, a very interesting story to tell that I, I did like that they went with that. Because a lot of people are like, oh, she always was dreaming of this. And, you know, and I'm like, I guess maybe just because of my own personal experiences, I, you know, I always wanted to be a film composer. And I got the chance to do it for a while. And I'm like, I, I don't like this. You know, <laughs> and you don't really know until you go do something. And. So, you know, you have to learn. And as we said, she is 18 and sorority. So. Yeah. Oh, I've got no issue with the storyline itself, but I feel like imploding her relationship with Santana for a reason that kind of doesn't seem like it's worth it in the end. Like, what was the point? To make drama. Other than to implode the friendship. Well, because it's television. I don't know. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just asking. Like, it was more a rhetorical question. <laughs> so good. Um, so, kind of, unless you guys had any lingering thoughts about that. Um, um, I'll say one more thing, I guess, about, before, I guess before we move on. Okay. Um, Kurt and Elliot, is, I, I, I think that Santana and Rachel, and thus, like, Knight and Ra- um, Leah, they do have a lot of chemistry when they're on screen together. Like, mm-hmm. I... Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. You, like, I... Oh, you're saying <laughs> they had a lot of chemistry and... Oh, it's just on screen. They, they have chemistry. They're enjoyable to watch. If, if it's, a, like, they're arguing or they're friends again, I think they do, like, Leah and Naya, mm-hmm. whatever their issues, they do it really well and they I enjoy watching them. Yeah. You know, and it's so funny that they got so much press about it because I actually feel like they were still rather professional in doing their jobs. I think that... Yeah. This Rachel Santana stuff really was Rachel Santana stuff and not, you know, you know, you don't see the like, they're not breaking character and like glaring at each other and, you know, whatever was going on offset, I really don't believe bled onto on screen. But that's just my two cents. So, yeah. And also, of all of the, the, the femme slash couples that people latched onto, I'm surprised that. Quinn and Rachel are still, like, the most popular when I feel like Rachel and Santana, as you say, had better chemistry. 
I am, but I never really surprised. I never really After got watching into all that, of though. season two, though, I get the Barry now. I'm like, I mean, not that I ship it or anything, but I'm just like, well, I understand why they're there. That's wow. <laughs> yeah, but then as I say, season four and five happens, and I'm like, guys, guys, <laughs> look over here, Rachel and Santana. <laughs> I agree. Like, I low key, low key shipped it until things started to fall apart in season five. <laughs> Um, okay, so going on two hours later, uh, to the part that we all want to talk about, <laughs> let's talk about uh, this Kurt plotline, um, which I find absolutely delightful. But let's open with, <laughs> oh goodness, okay, this delightful conversation, you know, first of all, it's nice when the show shows Kurt and Blaine talking about something, um, and I, you know what I really love about this? How, like... Usually, Blaine, we always have to see him with such, like, hard eyes and whatever. And here he's just like, oh, God, Kurt, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> why did you? Okay, so he said, we've got to do this song. Who cares? <laughs> like, I just love that. I, I don't know. Anyway. Can I just, yeah. I just wanted to point out that, because uh, I noticed that because Blaine's outfit's always super adorable. Because he's wearing suspenders in whatever is happening in this episode, in, in this scene. And then Kurt's wearing that really cute shirt, which I don't know if they're cats or dogs, but they're really cute. He's wearing that outfit throughout the rest of the whole episode. But Blaine changes um, like outfits like three times. And you know, and I'm like, all happen like the cur- the New York stuff happens over like two days, and then and then the live stuff, stuff is happening over like the whole week. Kurt <laughs> <laughs> does change at some point. He does. It's a different shirt. But he's, but he's wearing that shirt. I think when they do the musical number together, that he only yeah. changes before they do the the selfie. Right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it's just, I'm just like, what's going on? Yeah, so this everything from the phone call all the way through the song is all in one day, even though there's like a ton of changes on the other side. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I Santana, love- Santana changed her clothes because that confused me because when they were talking about going to the audition and then Rachel left for the audition and then came back after the audition, she was wearing the same outfit and Kurt was wearing the same outfit, but Santana went through three outfits. <laughs> yeah, she wore, the, she wore like, the, the, the really tight green dress and when she came back she's in jeans, I think, and a red No, she's top. in, like, a, like a geometric, geometric dress. Oh, that's right. And then she's in the jeans. That's later. It's like she changes a lot. <laughs> um, but in terms of, I mean, Kurt's paranoia about Ali in a sense, it kind of slightly parallels Rachel as well as to, like, sort of residual sort of feelings from high school and things like that have been sort of way a lot of people carried on in Glee Club and trying to usurp each other and all this sort of stuff. You can sort of, that's where he's coming from. Well, this person's here. He has to be trying to to and also, me out or be better than me because that's just what people do. Yeah. And also let's remember his best friend is Rachel. Um. So, but I... I think also we just had a, a you know um, a episode called Puppet Master and Kurt really likes to be in control of things and no Kurt <laughs> 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 oh. being in control of things I just want to yell at him that Elliot is normal like yeah, he's not out to get you that's not right the best part of Elliot as a character is that he's completely a normal human being in this yeah. world of not <laughs> normal great. human beings. Um, it's the same, same thing that happens to him when Paul Blaine comes and, like, like gets angry at him in um, New York. Yes. I just feel so bad for him. He's like, I'm so sorry, Elliot. They're all crazy. <laughs> but, yeah, okay, so let's talk about the end of this phone call because it is really weird. Like, it's crazy. Blaine gives the worst advice. <laughs> like, okay. 
like you know you know if oh my goodness like don't go not, not you know go talk to him go work it out because that seemed more blainish to me like let's just talk it out and talk about our core wounds instead of like, <laughs> keep your enemies closer I'm like, what the hell blaine I, I choose to believe it's partly because he was in a rush and needed to leave. And also, I feel like he hasn't met Elliot at this point. He only knows what Kurt's told him. That's true. So maybe Blake doesn't know that Elliot's a nice, normal, lovely person. He only He's only heard about... And perhaps he pictures Elliot. Maybe Blake pictures Elliot to be, like, a, a male Rachel. That's true. Well, how, many times, told him. how many times are they having phone calls? Because, like, in Puppet Master, we saw them phone call each other all the time, too. And it's like... How many conversations during the day are they having? How many times is Kurt, like, like during the middle of the day, hey, Blaine, I gotta have to complain about this now. And Blaine's like, okay. <laughs> Not nearly enough because we don't see it that much. We need to see it all the time. But also maybe this is, like, Kurt making an effort to yeah. communicate. Oh, yeah. He's picking up his phone calls this time. Yeah, they get, you know, and I, I, for as much as we don't get a lot of them together in the first half of season five, they do make the effort to show how much they are communicating with each other. Um, well, it's partly because they are the bridge between the two locations. If they're not, if they're not communicating, then the two locations aren't like. No, I know. Dealing like together, if that makes sense. It does. I don't know. But yeah. So anyway, um, I just <laughs> like Ellie keeps saying it's my band. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> the line reading of it is really funny. Okay, so... Why did Adam Lambert not stick around? He would have been the best, like, yeah. season regular. Let's talk yeah. about this delightful scene where Kurt is... <laughs> I, I don't even know if I have words for this. Um, so, like, <laughs> he has cucumber sandwiches. He brings them over in his... I mean, he, you know, I don't know how Kurt gets an acting job. He's so bad at it. Um, he, he has absolutely <laughs> no game trait. He's, like, the least subtle person ever. <laughs> And I love no, Elliot is on to him the whole time. Like, so, you know, what is your, you know, you're aspiring to do? And he's like, yeah, take over your band. <laughs> 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 but uh, well, wait, that, 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 I, I was always wondering, because I always thought that that was just Kurt imagining that's what Elliot is saying. That's what's I going on, right? Or is Elliot so. actually saying those things? I think it's Elliot knowing what Kurt is doing and throwing it at him. And then that throws Kurt off guard. I've, I've heard. I always, yeah, I always thought Kurt was imagining him saying those things. Just, I don't know. I mean, you can throw it both ways. I, I kind of think that it's real, though, but that's just me. No, I, I was just wondering because, I, like, I honestly, I thought I was going crazy because I honestly thought that was what was going on, but it, it still makes sense. Well, they do weird stuff, it. like this background noise and, like, this, like, little, like, swishing sound that, yeah. I was, I was love Elliot's reaction to the cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm not going to eat that. <laughs> and just, like, Kurt's little comments about, right, said Beyonce before she left Destiny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, she was the best one. Um, it's really, it's, it's funny. It's just funny. As you said, Elliot is so on to him. Whether whether those little statements that he actually says them or even Kurt's imagination, you can, his face and everything, he knows exactly what Kurt is doing at this point. Um, and it just cracks me up. I kind of love that Elliot is still trying to be genuine too, though, and still trying to yeah. get to know Kurt, and still trying to like, you know, be a part. I mean, he knows what Kurt's doing, but he really kind of wants a friend. Well, Elliot seems yeah. lonely. <laughs> yeah, Elliot is so lovely. <laughs> oh man. 
Um, Although um, I appreciate that apparently, apparently Kurt knows a couple chords on guitar because there's this whole conversation about how do you play guitar? Now, did Kurt teach Blaine to play guitar or did Blaine teach Kurt to play guitar or did they learn together? Blaine seems to know a little bit about guitar. I mean, more so than Kurt. So did Blaine teach Kurt some chords? Sam taught Blaine how to play guitar. (laughs) <laughs> Sam plays guitar. Can can Blaine Blaine only knows how to play guitar because Darren can play guitar, That's and they've forgotten that they've forgotten that episode with Elliot. But I don't even care. <laughs> but I just thought, yeah, I just thought it was really cute because again, I feel like I guess fandom sort of stereotypes Kurt like, oh, he only knows how to play piano and you know that's guitar's just not something that anyone I don't think would think Kurt would play, which I don't like. But would I like you- the idea that he does. But was he just saying it to I say, oh, yeah, yeah, I, because in the next and scene when the guy talks about the axes and Kurt's like, axes? Are, are those the axes? Like, pointing to his I'm really sad. I like the idea that Kurt does know how to play a little bit of guitar. It makes me happy. Yeah. I think that there's such a genuine chemistry between Chris and Adam and such a this is so comedic and so there's no viciousness in the way both Artie and Tina and Santana and Rachel stuff was that it feels refreshing to yeah. straight up comedy and mm-hmm. but I guess they don't have any history either though yeah so there's nothing like there's no history to play off of like Rachel and Santana have a lot of history that kind of makes their interactions a little bit more angry I guess so why not play it up for comedy because there's nothing else to play it up with I wouldn't believe it if it were really serious that's true and yeah I I don't know it just it's just a refreshing dynamic after all I mean Artie and Tina stuff is genuinely really funny too but um, it's nice to see straight up comedy and I think Kurt in general this season gets a lot of comedy in a way that he hasn't in a long time um, and it's just nice to see. Yeah. Um, let's talk about this guitar shop. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, that's, that, that, that's all we need to take away from this scene. Yeah, where, where is my pole dancer, Kurt AU? <laughs> I've seen stripper ones. I want a pole dance. <laughs> pole dancing takes a lot of upper body strength. So, like... I need it. <laughs> Please and thank you. <laughs> well, you also have, like, you know, Chris twirls things, and it's a Chris thing because he's, you know, a yeah. ninja. And uh, so he's always twirling, so he's got the drumsticks. But, yeah, climbing everywhere. This must have been, like, the best day of filming. <laughs> yeah. oh, is this is this the scene? Do you remember there was a behind-the-scenes photo of the, the two of them in, like, some weather-looking outfits? Was that – for this number and no, we just I never saw was it or was that for something or, else i think that was the new new york yeah. fantasy part that they, maybe it was the, i don't know it was a fantasy thing i, I think got it was cut. supposed to be like fantasy, the fantasy version of this song but oh, they didn't they didn't include, we never saw it on the screen where yeah. is it <laughs> I, I just i love everything about about this song like the two, as you said the two of them have great chemistry together obviously like friends in real life and it's playing off on the screen um it's fun they sound good together he's climbing on things he's swinging around on things he's um playing Rusting with drumsticks um 
And I just I just think it was a real shame that um, Elliot never got to do a number with both Kurt and Blake oh, because a musical, a, musical threes, a musical threesome between those three would have been amazing. Oh would have been so cool. Um, I just kind of love that, that, again, we see, you know, the return of, like, um, Kurt or Blaine, which they both love to do, climbing over things, like (laughs) furniture, pianos, tables, like they they climb over rigging and scaffolding, poles. (laughs) You know, what does that say about them? I was going to say, they're so ridiculous. (laughs) Um. I kind of love, even though, like, Kurt is not a dancer, but I love that there's a little bit of sensuality here. Like, you know, he's running his hands up his thighs. Holy crap. But that he's so comfortable in his own skin, and I think that's a theme really in season five, that he's really, you know, season one Kurt's, and season two Kurt even more, was not comfortable. I mean, think about Animal and how awkward that was. But I think (laughs) now he's grown into it. And he's still awkward in that dorky, like, you can't dance way. But there's a level of sensuality added to it that it's really, I don't know, I really enjoy, personally. It's awesome. I wrote down for the song, Damn Kurt. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I even get, like, because... You know, heavier rock is not Kurt's forte. Uh, it's not Chris's forte. Uh, love him to death, but this song was not meant for him. Um, but you don't notice because it's so fun and because Adam Lambert is a rock star. And oh yeah, that's what that's the only part I think that disappoints me is that if they needed to choose a song that kind of suited both of them, I mean, it sounds it sounds fine and they're all having a great time. But Adam Lambert sounds because it's weird. It's his wheelhouse. He sounds so much more comfortable the singing wise. Mm-hmm. Than, than yeah. Kurt does. But as I said, the, what fun they're having on screen means that I totally don't pay attention. Right, exactly. But there is like, there's like a point in the song where Kurt's voice does get a little scratchy and I kind of love it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, I feel like I know exactly the point it happens too, like on yeah. screen. <laughs> I can like picture it. But, like, that being said, I mean, this is the type of, from what I can understand, this is the type of music that Chris Colson like, likes himself and mm-hmm. so he would have just been having an absolute ball mm. getting to do it, regardless of what he might sound like and things like that. Um, kind of this in the season four's um, Scissor Sisters. Scissor Sisters, yeah. 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 So. Uh, it's sort of like it's it's kind of his thing, and that's what I think makes it all the more sort of fun to watch because you can yeah. tell how much fun the two of them are having doing it. Yeah. I know there's not a lot of it, but um, we would need to get to that. Um, so anyway, getting back to <laughs> um, we have this scene, and you know, here's my thing. Here's a scene where, first of all, Kurt's adorably making tin pin rolls, and Elliot, you know, he tells it like it is. He's like, "Hey, I know what you're." He's doing. a real person. Mm-hmm. He, he communicates like a real person. Mm-hmm. Only Rachel and Santana could have done the same thing. And, and you know, one of the, I know that people ship Kurt and Elliot. I get it; they're adorable together, and totally get it. But I like that he says, "Hey, I'm not here to hook up with you. You're not crazy. I just want to have a BFF, and you seem pretty awesome, yeah. and I like your band, and let's be awesome together." And Kurt's like, "Yeah, let's do this. Yeah, let's go out and kick ass together." I'm like, "That it was awesome." And I definitely kind of like in the scene, like I. I, I love how it does feel like a genuine friendship. Like, there's no, like, underlying tension of what if it could be something more? Like, I just, yeah. you know, I, even if whatever kind of 
I respect that people like to ship them, and that's cool. I could totally see how you get that. Oh, yeah. But I like that he, Kurt has, like, another gay male friend, and it is just a friendship, and that's how it really feels in this song, scene. It really feels just like a friendship, and I love it. Well, and I like that. I like that you have, you know, another type of gay relationship, you know, that they're friends. Like, not every gay man is going to be hooking up with their – I mean, they – yeah. There's all the time there are people hooking up with each other, but it doesn't have to be that way. Two gay men can be friends with each other without that sexual dynamic to it. Mm. No. My brother just added all that to the internet. (laughs) 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 Just wanted to add that in. Wow, that was good, Nick. Um, No. Oh, they're two. They're two attractive dudes. I want to see them make out. But yeah. Okay. I'm not saying. Yeah. Not saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying. It's not that it's just a yeah. Thing. No, I'm I agree. But as you were talking earlier, here, you know, this is where the frustrating, not just this episode, but in general, bleeds. One of bleeds issues is writing women. Uh, you have these two guys. They've worked their shit out. Okay. It lasted two days. Chris only worn two outfits. So it's been two days. And they get their shit together, and yet the women never seem to have, you know, until some of the seasons, any in season five stuff with Rachel and Mercedes, and kind of the Marley Unique stuff, you don't really get that sense of really good friendship between two women on the show. Mm-hmm. Well, that's what I was alluding, as I was alluding to before, like how, how um, Kern Elliott kind of conflict begins. Blank is. Kurt's some dumb advice, and it seems like they're heading towards a similar ending to Rachel and Santana, where we're gonna be suspicious of the person trying to sabotage me for like bad stuff. And then, as I said, they take the route that that Artie and uh, Tina end up going with, which is to actually, you know, maybe have a conversation about something and and deal with this like adults do, and suddenly everything's fine. I just don't understand why we couldn't have that again with the two female characters doing the same thing. It's just disappointing. Um, so then they take the, this is this is also why this other this next moment feels kind of jarring in yeah. not in what they actually do but in the the Becky part of it. Um, so they take <laughs> yeah, no, but it is jarring in what they decide to do. Who the hell decides just to randomly take a selfie for no reason oh. to document a moment? Like you don't have to say it out loud. Just take a picture. <laughs> do you guys I would do that. Well, but. No, no, but I meant like I don't have to. I don't have to say to a friend, "Let's document this moment. Let's take a picture." Just like, oh, I want to take a picture. Get in here. Oh, I like, I, it's just yeah. the way that it's worded is really awkward, and it's yeah, obviously to set something up. We've established yeah. that most Glee scripts have been are worded awkwardly, and it was yeah. probably <laughs> worded awkwardly, much more awkwardly in the script than when what was actually ended up in the episode. Yeah, that, yes, if you guys have, this is a shout out. And Mel can back me up on this. A shout out to go back and listen to the Love, Love, Love script podcast again because we talk about just how ridiculous the scripts are originally. So. I think I just listened to that like a couple of days ago. So, yeah, I remember. Um, so, yeah, they take – and it is – I'm sure I – mean, it is a cute little photo. Like, oh, I don't know. I don't understand the point of it. Well, and it's like, so funny. Obviously – Zoom in on the Facebook post. It says my two best friends, which I'm like, what the hell? But, you know, I always say put it in context. 
like, what do you think Kurt's feed is like? If it's that, if Elliot is his new best friend, think about, like, how many, this is my fiance and I doing this, and how obnoxious it probably is, because, mm-hmm. like, every other picture is me and Blaine, like, we just don't see it. Which is <laughs> I wish we saw it. I know. But, but yeah, so no, we get, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was gonna say, I feel like um, Blaine, you have you have some issues with doing shit on Facebook that you shouldn't. So like, don't jump to conclusions. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> although I feel like the, the the payoff for this scene doesn't happen until like a very long time later. Yeah, that we so almost the time felt like it was pointless. It, it will still yeah. feels a little like it's pointless because it's five episodes and Blaine hasn't even seen that like. He's like, about a little it. weird, but oh, he's more weirded out by Becky and the pancake face <laughs> and the, like, you were broken up. And he's like, no, we're not. What the fuck are you talking about? He, lo- he looks oh, really Becky. hot as he walks down the hallway, though. I just want to yeah. say that. Like, that oh, intense Becky. look at his face. <laughs> Becky's line about best friend's my ass. Speaking <laughs> of ass, pancake face is so, and I, as I said, I, I would say rem- he's in green. Get it, guys, because he's jealous. Just in case yeah. you didn't realize, like, <laughs> oh my god, or you oh. just realized his his advice about keep your enemies closer is best. <laughs> like, well, no, what, like yeah. every good fan fiction, they hate each other, but they're in love. Blaine's <sighs> like too much fan fiction. fiction. Well, he does bring fan fiction. He does bring fan fiction. Yeah. He does. yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> He knows how this works. He understands how this works. <laughs> I love it. I love the plain reads Like I, I just love, love every little tidbit that like they added to his character. He's the best. I feel He's like- an enemy <laughs> lover at you. <laughs> He's like, I've written that before. <laughs> I feel like Kurt doesn't though, and he would be much more like what the hell, Blaine? What, like, <laughs> just friend Elliot. It's fine. He never checks it. Like. <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. goodness. And it's like, fine, I'll talk to Sam about it. Sam understands. It's <laughs> like, I don't read romantic. I like genfic. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, and but like, keep in mind, like, you know, Blade, I love the flip. Because we already saw, really, the flip of this with Sebastian. But, like, you know, some guy will, like, be all over Blaine and he'll be oblivious and curve it, like, oh. <laughs> or rip your head off. <laughs> it's nice oh. to have the little, the reverse of it. Yeah. So yeah, um, I think it's interesting that they kind of set up a plot point five episodes ahead of time. It's clean. <laughs> <That never happened. laughs> I almost thought they forgot about it. They set it up yeah. too far <laughs> I mean, the pa- the payoff is the payoff is glitter rock vampire. So it's <laughs> yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I am really sad though that they only really had that one scene for Blood one more. Yeah, I, you know. Yeah. <sighs> so. <laughs> It looks like you need something to hold. Oh my god, that scene is amazing. I'm disappointed that they disappointed that Elliot didn't have more scenes in general. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can feel that. Oh, she needed to be a season regular, is what it needed to be, not a guest star. Oh, yeah. He just brings such a different energy and dynamic to everything as well. Like. Mm-hmm. He, he is the straight man in all of this, yeah. and it, uh, it would be so interesting to see him with everybody. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. He would have been a great addition. But how long until they would have, like, cartoonified him in some way? Yeah, that's true. And how long, yeah, to create that dumb love triangle and, like, ruin it all. So, mm. 
I don't know if you remember because there was that kind of analysis at the time when Blaine started in season two that he was originally like the straight man outside. Yeah, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah. And then when season five gets all goofy and came, like, again. Regular and... Yeah, that's true. He was he was a straight man, I think, throughout most of season three and four. And as I said, like in season five, uh, once the show gets a little bit crazier, he's I argue not that he wasn't so much in season four, but like in, yeah, definitely season two and three. Yeah, agreed. Um, so bringing it kind of to a close, though, we get the song "Breakaway," which uh-huh. always makes me think of the Princess Diaries too. It's a sweet song. Blaine's wearing his bow tie uh, pants. Was this the one where I put it on the mic? No, that was that was. Um, sorry, I'm thinking of end of twerk. Never mind. Yeah, he's wearing black. Like literally glows. It's like yeah. you're a little angel. <laughs> he sings the line. I wrote it down. He sings. <laughs> felt so stupid, but I had to write it down. What did he say? He said that he wanted to belong here, and I literally wrote down, "You wanted to belong here because you're not of this world, baby." My <laughs> <laughs> beautiful Aww. angel. But I don't like how obviously there's this really lovely moment where uh, Blaine and has resolved whatever's going on. I'm sorry, not Blaine, but uh, Artie and Tina have resolved what's going on, and it, their lovely song is playing over the end of Rachel and Santana's friendship. It's just like these two things don't go together. Break away, break up, get it? Break up. I yeah, know, it kind of works. Like I get what it, I sort of get that that it was. I think it kind of works that duality of it. I mean, I do, and I mean that moment of Rachel in the in the bedroom when she's like gathering herself before she leaves. I think is um, quite a nice isn't the right word, but it's a it's a slightly redeeming moment for her before she then goes and acts like a brat and rips up the photo in front of Santana. Um, I think that kind of takes away from the whole feel of the song mm-hmm. and and that particular moment had sort of that not happened. I think that would have been a little bit more impactful. Does that moment where she and Santana look at each other and for her to then just walk out. Um, so I don't, didn't mind sort of that mix up there. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I forgot to mention this earlier just because um, I forgot, the, <laughs> I forgot that the way that the episode is structured. Um, the moment after, Rachel slaps Santana, at least on the episode that I watched, I'm assuming it cut to a commercial break, but it immediately cut to, I think, Artie and Tina fighting, I think, just before the their speech or something. I'm not sure. But I feel like when you put it together like that, it's almost like these two things that you're fighting about don't seem – they're kind of not the same thing and it doesn't feel like, like – one seems super serious and the other seems sort of like it's being played for laughs mm-hmm. and – that's yeah. part of the reason why I feel like this end scene doesn't really work for me, at least. Like the two things are not really comparable. At least, I mean, they are comparable, but in the way that they're being played. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. All right. Well, that kind of wraps it up for Frenemies. <laughs> it's, it, it is, despite the fact that we, you know, complain about Rachel and Santana, I think it is a solidly good episode. It's very funny. It's very worth going back and watching. And, um, so I, I suggest you guys check it out. Um, I want to thank. Not a, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was gonna say there's not enough Kurt and Elliot. There should there's be. There's not. It, that plot they should have been the C plot. They deserve to be the A plot. 
Um, there really isn't okay. a whole lot of that in here. Um, but I want to thank you guys. I want to thank, um, you know, Australia, because that's really <laughs> awesome that I got you guys all out of the same podcast. Um, and join us next week when we kind of do Frenemies 2.0, uh, which is called Trio. Um, so I will see you guys next Sunday and have a great night. You make me feel so young You make me feel like spring has sprung Like the way he's speaking His confidence is peaking Don't like his baggy jeans But I'ma like what's underneath him and Love is a